Kurt, you good? Yeah. Okay. It takes a minute. There we go. We are ready, Mayor. Thank you, Bojo. Mayor Finkeldy. Um, welcome to the May 4th meeting. We will save the rest of the introductions um, until after our executive session when we come back at 545. But uh, for now, I'd look for a motion to move to executive session. This is Commissioner Boley. Um, I move that we recess into executive session for approximately 30 minutes to discuss privileged legal communications from the city's attorneys regarding pending litigation and claims pursuant to KSA 754319B2. The justification for the executive session is to keep attorney-client privilege matters confidential at this time. The city commission meeting will resume in its virtual format in accordance with resolution number 7360 at the conclusion of the executive session. Mr. Hernandez, second. Mayor Finkeldy, there's a motion by Commissioner Bully, a second by Commissioner Hernandez. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Commissioner Hernandez? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Mayor Finkeldy, aye. And uh, again, the meeting will, um, will return after executive session, but then the meeting will um, plan to start at 545 with our regular agenda. Thank you. Pojo, are you ready? We are ready, Mayor. Thank you, Pojo. Mayor Finkelai, we are back from executive session and we have nothing to report. And um, we'll go ahead and be in recess till 545, our normal starting time, and we'll start the agenda at 545. So recess until then. Thank you. This is Mayor Finkelai. Thank you, everyone, for attending the May 4th, 2021 City Commission meeting. Before we get started, we'll have Porter O'Neill give us some guidelines. Thank you, Mayor. Good evening, everyone. I just want to share some housekeeping items for this virtual meeting. This meeting is being broadcast and recorded on the City of Lawrence YouTube channel and Cable Access Channel 25. The public chat function is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. When you are not participating in the meeting, please mute your microphone. When you are participating in the meeting, please keep your video on. When you are not participating in the meeting, you can turn your video off. You will still be able to hear the meeting. You can turn your video back on when you are participating. Turning your video off when you are not participating allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. If you have any trouble, please just send me a chat. The city reserves the right to mute microphones and or turn off people's video to minimize distractions during the meeting. Please remember to state your name every time you speak for the benefit of those listening remotely. Now I return the meeting back to Mayor Finkeldye. Mayor Finkeldye, thank you, Porter. I'll go ahead and take roll call. Vice Mayor Shipley. Aye. Commissioner, Nan <laughs> Commissioner Nanda. Here. Commissioner Lawson. Here. Commissioner Bully? Here. Mayor Finkelai present as well. And before we um, move on to the agenda, we'll have Sherry Wiedemann, our city clerk, give us some guidelines for the meeting. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I'm just going to provide a few procedural reminders for the virtual meeting. Commissioners, please remember to state your name and title each time you speak. 
Mayor, after a motion is made and seconded, please call on commissioners individually to provide their vote. Then announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. City staff, please remember to state your name and title each time you speak. And when the mayor calls for public comment on an item, individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. The raise hand function may appear in different places on your Zoom menu depending on the device you are using and which version of Zoom you have. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. When you are called on, please unmute and state your name. Comments will be limited to three minutes. When the mayor calls for in-person public comment, individuals should raise their hand to indicate they wish to speak and staff present will direct you to the podium to speak following social distancing and safety protocols. Please state your name before speaking and comments will be limited to three minutes. Thank you. Mayor Finkelai, thank you, Sherry. The first item on our agenda is to approve the agenda. The City Commission reserves the right to amend, supplement, or reorder the agenda during the meeting. Would any commissioner um, like to change the agenda or I look for a motion? I move to approve the agenda. Commissioner Nade, second. Mayor Finkelai, motion by Commissioner Lawson, a second by Commissioner Ananda. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Bowley? Aye. Mayor Finkelai, aye. Passes five to zero. We'll now move on to the proclamations. Uh, May is a, a good month to, um, to celebrate things, and we have four proclamations we'll go through tonight. The first proclamation is to proclaim the month of May 2021 as Mental Health Month. I believe Patrick Schmitz is here to say a few words before I read the proclamation. Uh, Patrick Schmitz, uh, Mayor Finkeldye, Commissioners, City Administrator Owens, uh, City of Lawrence staff, and my fellow residents of Lawrence, uh, thank you for sharing this time with us tonight to recognize May as Mental Health Awareness Month. Thank you for the opportunity to join you virtually. Uh, as I said, I am Patrick Schmitz, CEO of the Burt Nash Community Mental Health Center. As we celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month, we are glad to be part of a caring community that has a long history of supporting mental health services. For more than 70 years, the Burt Nash Center has been providing mental health services to the residents of Douglas County. Each year, we serve approximately 5,000 adults, children, and families in our community. You can read about some of the lives that have been changed in our 2020 annual report, which we, which we debuted at the annual Pioneer Celebration last month, also held virtually. When 2020 started, no one could have foreseen the challenges, uncertainties, and hardships we would all face. At the same time, in the face of adversity, in unprecedented times in our lifetimes, we adapted, adjusted, and we persevered. It's hard to imagine a more difficult and challenging year for us as a community, as individuals, and as a center. You know, and as excruciating as this past year was, I'm excited about our future. 
transitions opened in March. Construction on the crisis center should be completed by next February, and people continue to receive the COVID-19 vaccine. I have never been prouder of the Burton Ash Center team, our integrated care partners, and our community than I have been during this past year. We came together, we supported each other, we overcame barriers, and we found creative ways to deliver much needed services despite obstacles caused by the pandemic. Because of the increased anxiety and depression people experiencing are experiencing, the availability of mental health services in our community is more important now than ever. I am grateful for our collaborative and supportive partners like the city, but we couldn't do what we do without the dedicated and talented Burton Ash Center team. I am so proud of the life-changing work they do every day, responding to needs, restoring lives, and building a healthy community. Thank you again for your continued support, and thank you for recognizing Mental Health Awareness Month. Mayor Fingal, I thank you, Patrick. And I will go ahead and read the proclamation. Whereas the U.S. Surgeon General states that mental health is fundamental to health, personal well-being, family and interpersonal relationships, and contributes to community and society, and whereas mental illness affects one in four Americans in a typical year, regardless of age, gender, race, ethnicity, religion, or economic status, the COVID-19 pandemic has negatively affected many people's mental health, triggering new mental health conditions for some and exacerbating existing ones for others. And whereas the U.S. Surgeon General has found that a range of treatments exist for most mental disorders and the efficacy of mental health treatments are well documented. And whereas Lawrence, Kansas has made a commitment to an integrated system of mental health care for all residents, and whereas the guiding principles of community mental health care have always been comprehensive, cost efficiency, effective management, and high quality and consumer responsive services. And whereas Mental Health America, the National Council for Community Behavioral Health Care, and the Burt Nash Community Mental Health Center observe Mental Health Month every May to reduce the stigma and raise awareness and understanding of mental health and illness. Now, therefore, I Brad Finkeldye, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, do hereby proclaim the month of May 2021 as Mental Health Month in the City of Lawrence and call upon all citizens, government agencies, public and private institutions, businesses, and schools to recommit our community to increasing awareness and understanding of mental illness and the need for appropriate and accessible services for all people with mental illness. Thank you again. Um, it's, a, it's a very important month, and especially in these, this COVID time, um, we appreciate all that Boat Nash does and all of its employees and all you do for community. So thank you so much, Patrick. Just Patrick, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you all. Mayor Finkeldye, thank you for that. And now our second proclamation is to proclaim the week of May 2 to 8, 2021 as National Travel and Tourism week. And I believe Kim, our soon-to-be interim executive director of Explore Lawrence, is here to say a few words. 
Yes, thank you, Mayor. You're right. My name is Kim Onspach, and I am the soon-to-be interim executive director of Explore Lawrence. Thank you, commissioners, for having me here tonight and city staff. Last year, we came during this week to celebrate the resiliency of the travel industry, and this year we are here to celebrate the power of travel. And we are celebrating the power of travel as an economic engine to our communities with a $272 million of direct visitor spending from 2019. As we know, 2020 numbers are not going to be those same numbers when your job is to market to visitors and travel is not allowed for most of the year. It does impact those numbers, but it also gave us a chance to really look at our community and form and solidify some wonderful collaborations. So those are the things I would really like to talk to you about tonight. At the beginning, of the pandemic, we formed a group that you might see the hashtag Rise Lawrence throughout the community. And that was a collaborative effort with some city staff, with the chamber, with Downtown Lawrence Inc., with the health department staff and many others to help spread a message of hope and resiliency through our community. Through that, we saw a need to also communicate to customers and visitors alike that our businesses were committed to their safety and that it was safe to come to our businesses, to visit our restaurants and pick up your takeout. So we started the Lawrence Promise with those same institutions and organizations to promote businesses that were adhering to local health guidelines and safety practices. I don't know if you've seen our fun music video with Carswell and Hope, but because we're in the business of fun, we had to make a video about being safe. And now we're looking ahead to a long recovery, but, but we are seeing encouraging signs. Our hotels are starting to report increased occupancy on the weekends, especially with KU track returning, with youth sports being able to happen safely. And we're getting ready to welcome back our KU parents and students for KU graduation. So in the coming weeks, you'll be seeing some more messaging regarding a safe welcoming of these visitors. We're excited to welcome them and we also want to make sure that we keep them and our residents safe. So you'll see some more masking guidelines and some more items pushed out from the health department. So we know the recovery will be long, but our visitation will return and we will return to being a great economic engine for our community. So I thank you for recognizing May 2nd through 8 as National Travel and Tourism Week and celebrating the power of travel with us. Mayor Fingalai, thank you so much. Kim, I'll go ahead and read the proclamation. Whereas a robust travel industry provides significant economic benefits for Lawrence and Douglas County, with 272 million spent directly by travelers to Douglas County in 2019. And whereas travel has been the foundation of a healthy workforce, serving as one of the largest private sector employers supporting 3,764 jobs in Lawrence and Douglas County in 2019. Whereas spending by travelers has aided state and local governments alike, generating $24.5 million in tax revenue in 2019 to support essential services and programs. And whereas last year, the coronavirus pandemic devastated every sector of the travel industry with staggering declines in 2020 compared to 2019, affecting every community 
in the country, including Lawrence. And whereas the power of travel will revive Lawrence in the United States and drive us forward to a more prosperous future. Now, therefore, I, Brad Finkeldy, mayor of the city of Lawrence, do hereby proclaim May 2nd through 8th, 2021, as National Travel and Tourism Week in Lawrence, Kansas, and urge the citizens of Lawrence to join me in recognizing the critical role of this industry that this industry plays in our city. Thank you very much. I was um, honored to be part of the thank you as you went around the community earlier this week. And, you know, certainly it's been a tough, tough year for the um, tourism industry. So um, we offer them our support and thank you, Kim, for all you've done and all School Lawrence has done um, this year and will do in the coming year. Thank you. Thank you for your support of Explore Lawrence. Have a good evening. Thank you. Mayor Finkeldy, our third proclamation is to proclaim the week of May 2nd through 8th, 2021 as supporting staff of Douglas County Schools Week. And I believe Loy Lang is here to say a few words before I read the proclamation. Loy, you're still on mute there. Sorry. Uh, Lori Lang, just a everyday citizen of Lawrence, Kansas, and um, thank you, Mayor and City Commissioners and others that are tuned in. Um, several months ago, while volunteering for Audio Reader, I read an article about a ribbon campaign in the Sedalia Democrat um, and wanted to find a way to use that idea in Lawrence. I found a group of people interested and we get interested and we began planning and ended up um, deciding to focus on those involved in the education of our K-12 students as children are a key part of the present and the future of our communities and to observe it during the first week of May, which is nationally recognized as Teacher Appreciation Week. We um, know, all know that the past years had extra demands on everyone. And as far as in the school system, um, we wanted to acknowledge not just the extra work that's been required of teachers, but clerical, food service, IT administrators to save time, just etc. I know I'm missing people. Um, but to broaden, rather than just teachers, to broaden it to include staff of schools in um, Douglas County. So Baldwin, Eudora, uh, um, LeCompton and Lawrence. And the idea behind a, a ribbon campaign is to make uh, an easy way for members of these communities um, to participate and show their appreciation for the work of these staff members as easy as putting a ribbon on um, lapel, printing a ribbon out and posting it in a window of a business or a home or your win uh, car or to tie something around a, a tree or a lamppost in your yard. And, and just for these um, people, as they see these ribbons, whether they're driving home to their neighborhoods, shopping in a store, or going to, to work each day to, um, to know that they are, that the, the work they've been doing this last year has been recognized. So I appreciate, and I'm sure I don't need to convince you further that um, these staff members um, deserve the appreciation that we're wanting to show them. Mayor Finkel, I thank you, Lori, and I'll go ahead and read the proclamation. Whereas for the past year, we have all been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. And whereas the impact extends to the education of our children, which is a vital part of the present and future of our community, 
And whereas pandemic has changed how K-12 students receive instruction, necessitating our teachers, support staff, and administrators to adapt to changing requirements and situations. And whereas to acknowledge their endeavors, we want to show our appreciation in a visible way to school staff members, teachers, paraprofessionals, those providing clerical, custodial, food, IT, and transportation services, and administrators. And whereas a ribbon campaign has been planned to coincide with National Teacher Appreciation Week to support these hardworking staff members. Now, therefore, I, Brad Finkeldy, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, do hereby proclaim the week of May 2nd through 8, 2021, as Supporting Staff of Douglas County Schools Week, and encourage our citizens to join in this countywide campaign by simply tying a ribbon at their home or displaying a printed ribbon loop in the window of their residence, vehicle, or business, or to wear a lapel ribbon as a visual sign of support, and to share pictures at, of those displays at hashtag DGKS underscore schools and hashtag DGKS halt. Thank you very much. And, and Loy, I appreciate your efforts. Um, and uh, you're more than just a regular citizen. You're a super volunteer. And we appreciate all you do in the community. And, and this is one of those. So thank you very much. Lori Lang, and thank you. Mayor Finkel died last. Um, proclamation is to proclaim the week of May 2nd through 8th, 2021 as Professional Municipal Clerks Week. And um, our municipal clerk, Sherry Riedemann, we uh, do this on her behalf. And, and uh, let me read this and then we'll um, say a few words. But here's the proclamation. Whereas the office of the city clerk a time-honored and vital part of local government exists throughout the world. And whereas the office of the city clerk is the oldest among public servants, and whereas the office of the city clerk provides the professional link between the citizens, the local governing bodies and agencies of government at other levels, and whereas city clerks have pledged to be ever mindful of their neutrality and impartiality, rendering equal service to all, Whereas the city clerk serves as the information center on functions of local government and community. And whereas professional city clerks continually strive to improve the administration of the affairs of the office of the city of clerk, of the city clerk through participation in education programs, seminars, workshops, and the annual meetings of their state, county, and international professional organizations. And whereas it is most appropriate that we recognize the accomplishments of the office of the city clerk. Now, therefore, I, Brad Finkeldy, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, hereby proclaim the week of May 2nd through May 8th, 2021, as Professional Municipal Clerks Week. And further extend appreciation to our city clerk, Sherry Riedemann, Deputy City Clerk Eliza Binninger, and all professional municipal clerks for the vital services they perform and their exemplary dedication to our community and the communities they represent. Thank you so much, Sherry, for, for those who, who don't follow um, city government very closely. The city clerk is, as it said in that proclamation, one of, one of the few positions that every city has, even if it doesn't have a city administrator, it has a city clerk. And they, they perform a vital function statutorily and otherwise. And certainly Sherry is a vital part of this team and appreciate your service. Thank you so much, Sherry. Thank you. 
Uh, Mayor, I just want to thank uh, Porter Arneal. It was uh, he, he snuck this on, so uh, I just want to thank <laughs> him for getting that on there. <laughs> Mayor Finkelai, it takes a team to make this go through. Good work, Porter. Okay, we are now moving on to our consent agenda. All matters listed below on the consent agenda are considered under one motion and will be enacted by one motion. There'll be no separate discussion on those items. If discussion is desired, the item will be removed from the consent agenda and will be considered separately. Members of the public wishing to speak to an item that has been pulled off the consent agenda will be limited to three minutes for comments. Would any of the commissioners like to pull any items off the consent agenda? Yes, Mayor, this is Commissioner Larson. I'd like to pull D9E. Any other, Mayor Finkelai, any other commissioner would like to pull any items? We do allow members of the public to pull items off the consent agenda. If any member of the public would like to pull an item off the consent agenda, please raise your hand using the raise your hand function. Um, or if you're present, you can let Sherry know. And she will call upon you. Oh, thank you. Nothing on this. Okay. Uh, at Sherry Reedman, City Clerk, there are no um, more items to pull, Mayor. Mayor Finkelai, thank you. Then I would look for bring it back to the commission and look for a motion on the consent agenda besides D9E. This is Commissioner Larson. I move to approve the consent agenda with the exception of D9E. Chairman, I'll second that. Mayor Finkelai, there's a motion by Commissioner Lawson, a second by Commissioner Ananda. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Commissioner Ananda? I missed that. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Apologies. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Mayor Finkelai, aye. Passes 5 to 0. We'll now take up item D9E. And Commissioner Lawson, you can proceed. Yeah, Commissioner Larson here. I was hoping that this is Enrico's project. If he could give us a little overview of, of what the project is. Thanks, Commissioner Larson. Uh, can you hear me well? I'm using headphones, so. Yes. So uh, I don't know if the applicant is on, but the the developer at at 800 Penn. Um, had requested from the city to uh, install a patio and fence in the right-of-way uh, via license agreement, um, and that's what's presented tonight. And so some, some background on that. Originally, the applicant had requested to vacate the right-of-way, um, and in that district, um, he, he could vacate. Um, I, we agreed to about 10 feet in that right-of-way. Uh, when he found out that the uh, going through the replatting process and uh, revising the uh, site plan um, and how time consuming that would be, the applicant had requested instead um, what, what is another alternative that he could pursue. Um, and so we opted for a license agreement um, that would allow him to install uh, that patio and fence in the right of way. Um, and that way he can comply with code with the intention of 
vacating that right of way in the future so he doesn't have to worry about that being on city property. Okay. Mr. Larson, thank you. Um, so are there other projects where we've done something like this? I, I, I did some looking around and I found that there was one near, near Amex Barbershop, <clears throat> 840 Mass. Um, that was a kind of a fenced off area. Um, I don't believe that they installed uh, that the fencing, but they did do something, or at least they requested to do that. Um, that was the only thing that I was that I could find. Okay, did that so that passed through the commission? I, I think I remember that project um, that passed through the commission. Yeah, I believe so. Okay, is there Mayor, any other project, Mayor Pinkle? I just Remember everyone to say their oh, names sorry. for the oh, speech. Yep. Yeah, Commissioner Larson, sorry about that. Um, are there any other projects throughout town where we've used this type of an agreement? Specific to like a patio setup? Yeah, just to, or any just use of the, the, the easement for, for whatever purposes. Yes, uh, so like uh, for irrigation systems, uh, there's another one on consent tonight for that. Uh, retaining walls, um, those those are primarily, at least, what they get used for um, so far. So, Commissioner Larson, okay. Um, so, how is this different than what we do for downtown, where they have patios on attached to their buildings? How is it different than that? So, those ones would be like relevant to sidewalk dining. Um, you know, for patrons to consume food and beverage. Uh, it, whereas with the, the one at 800 Penn, um, that may just be a spot for people to hang out. Um, there was talks of maybe having that be sidewalk dining. Um, it, and I did express to the applicant that if he wanted to change that to sidewalk dining in the future, then we would have to get a whole new agreement. Okay. Now we charge the downtown um, businesses if they want to have a sidewalk or a, a, a cafe there right on, on the outside of the building. Is that correct? Uh, that is correct. However, the Enrico MSO, I, I apologize. Yeah. Um, that, that is correct, uh, Commissioner Larson. Uh, however, due to the, the pandemic, and with the uh, the parklet program, we did suspend those sidewalk dining fees for the remainder of this year. So, um, in talking with the applicant, that because we have suspended those fees, um, that I don't think that we would charge them if they were in a separate location. So we we, we did have that discussion. Thank you, Commissioner Larson. So. Eventually, though, those sidewalk dining areas will be charged just like they normally would outside of a pandemic. Is that correct? If it's the will of the commission, yes. Okay. But on this agreement that you put together, there's never going to be a charge for that space unless they go to a dining situation? Yes. Okay. All right. So I'm trying to picture how it is it going to be connected to the building? Uh, Commissioner Larson, again, sorry, Brett, um, Mayor. 
<laughs> it's been a few weeks since I've been here. So, um, so Commissioner Larson is. So, how is it? Is it attached to the building or is it separate? How, where's the sidewalk fall? In, Enrico MSO. Um, so the the sidewalk. Um, I'll, I'll I guess I'll stick with the uh, the fencing area. That that would be attached to the building on the northern side, uh, and then the sidewalk would be in front of the be in front of the the patio setup. So Commissioner Larson, so the patio, uh, the, I'm reading the uh, measurements. It's thirty by about ten feet. So is that going to cause the sidewalk to have to be moved at all before it's put in? Yeah, it would. The <clears throat> Enrico MSO, the sidewalk would need to be um, shifted slightly, and they haven't built the sidewalk yet. Um, they're actually waiting on this agreement um, before they do that. So, I, I guess we're kind of at a pause um, on on that sidewalk portion. On the sidewalk, okay. Um, so one thing I read in the agreement was that uh, the owner, which is the applicant, is providing good and valuable consideration uh, that they're giving. What is that? What does that mean? The the one dollar, the one dollar. I don't know. Is it, is it is that it? They're just paying. One, is that what that means? They're going to pay one dollar. Yeah, that that's a. I, I would defer to Randy. Um, I think he would be able to answer <laughs> that better than I. Uh, Enrico MSO, I apologize again. I'm sorry, Commissioner Larson. <sighs> this is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. For every contract, there has to be consideration go both ways. In this situation, we are allowing them to use the right-of-way, and then they're going to do the improvements and use it to enhance the neighborhood, to enhance whatever it is that they're going to do. Um, we've done many of these types of agreements, and the question of whether or not we should charge rent or, or money for that. I don't know the answer to whether we were going to do that. That was going to be decided elsewhere. But we have groups that have landscaping in the right of way where we've given them license agreements. We have groups that have parking. You know, sometimes it's a house that they've been parking in the right of way for years. and We allow them to park. Uh, we have irrigation systems, as Enrico noted. We sometimes have retaining walls that we grant it. Sometimes these are done in advance, sometimes they're done afterward, but we do have various types of license agreements that we grant for rights of way. And then of course, whether or not rent should be charged, we charge it for downtown licensing. Sometimes we don't charge it for others, but that's basically a decision for the city manager's office. Actually, it's ultimately a decision for the city commission. So anyway, that's, I think where we're at with this agreement. Mr. Larson, thank you, Randy, appreciate that. So I got, um, um, one more question. Um, so if, if a, a residential property or other commercial property throughout town, anywhere in town, if they wanted to build on their easement, that's, that they could get a license agreement to do that. Say if it's in the, in the neighborhood and they have some easement area and they want to build patio or a small building or something like that, could they do that? This is Randy Larkin, Deputy City Attorney. We, we typically talk to MSO, and if there is an issue, they cannot. And if they do not foresee an issue, we will sometimes sometimes allow a structure to be built across an easement if the party agrees that if we need to get into that easement, they remove and they bear all the risk of putting that structure there. We did one at Burning Tree, I believe, last year where someone built a part of a uh, 
pool house and they had a retaining wall that was already there, which probably shouldn't have been out there already, but I think there was a mistake made on our part, the city's part. But yes, sometimes that is allowed. Sometimes it is not because sometimes we know that we need to get in there and it will just be a problem. So we have turned some down, but sometimes we have allowed it. Yes. Commissioner Larson, thank you. Thank you, Randy. So um, I think that's all I've got. Um, I guess I'm just, con uh, it, it concerns me. Do we charge, do, I, I know there was one more question. Do we have ever charge for any work being done in the right of way? Enrico MSL, I'm assuming that's directed towards me. Sorry. Um, it, it, yeah, yes, we do in the form of like permit fees. Um, so I, I guess yes to that. Okay, Commissioner Larson, thank you. Yeah, that's all the questions I have at this time. Mayor, Vice Mayor Shipley, as long as um, we're talking about this, um, one thing I've seen in other places, um, I usually feel confident that it's been looked at um, uh, very thoroughly by staff, but just learning the order of the sidewalk and the patio being built, I wonder if um, um, whether the site triangle and with especially with taller fencing and um, retaining walls, um, there's some uh, very unique and seemingly dangerous retaining wall positions around town. I wonder if they could assure us um, that the site um, for uh, bicycles and cars in this space um, will be safe. Um, I didn't find the diagram particularly illuminating. So if staff could just uh, tell us what how you how you evaluate that. Commissioner Shipley, Enrico MSO. Um, so I did look at if there was potential for uh, site triangle issues, um, and at this particular location, I didn't, I didn't see that there would be. There, there was like a mock setup that the developer did, and he had a, a test video, and we, you know, he drove it. I looked at it personally. Um, I didn't think that there would be an issue at this locale. This Commissioner Bowley. Um, Enrico, how close does the sidewalk go to 8th Street on this? How, how close does it jog? I, I would have, Enrico MSO, I would have to uh, look at the site plan again. Uh, but if memory serves me correct, somewhere in like the four to six feet, I believe, something like that. I think like any other questions from commissioners this is a public hearing item we'll go ahead and open it up to the public to make any comments before we bring it back to the commission if you're interested in making a public comment on this item please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature um all if you're present you can let sherry know just one second You wanted to provide comment on this item? Uh, I just wanted to know who the MSO is. It's Municipal Services and Operations. Thank you. You're welcome. But no comment on this item? No. Okay. Uh, Sherry Reedeman, City Clerk, there's no public comment on this item. Sorry about that. I thank you, Sherry. I'll bring it back to the commission. Um, for any other further comments or 
motions. Commissioner Larson, I had, I'm sorry, I have one more question. How tall is that privacy fence going to be? Enrico, MSO, six feet. Commissioner Larson, thank you. Commissioner Larson, again, um, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with this one because it seems to me that having a full concrete pad there with the sidewalk um, and us not charging anything for that, it just seems like we're taking that a step further than what we have on other projects. Seems like um, it definitely doesn't seem temporary like we have downtown with the little park park looks we've done. Um, so, it, you know, I, I, it seems to me that we should reevaluate how um, how we're allowing these to happen or potentially happen without some sort of fee um, taken of that property that the city easement has. So, I don't believe I can support this at this time. Mayor Mayor Finkelstein. Enrico, do I understand? I just want to make sure. I guess the reason I'm thinking about this a little differently, I understand your concerns, Commissioner Lawson. But as I understand it, because of the the wide um, right of way there, and and because of the the plan, he could he could plat that. If he asked to plat that, we would give him that ten feet, because that's under the plan, and we have nothing else to do with that. And so this is a way to move this project along without having to go through the cost and expense of the plotting, which is different from um, using using land that would not otherwise be, um, you know, that it's just normal right of way that we wouldn't typically allow someone to be plat. Am I correct on that, Enrico? Correct, yes. So Enrico MSO, um, we would look at things such as uh, is there sidewalk in the right of way? We wouldn't want to vacate that. If we have utilities in the right of way, in particular ours, we wouldn't want to vacate that. And also, we, you know, if there's a future project coming that we would need that right of way for, we wouldn't vacate that. Um, but in this particular case, it looks like we had excess right of way, and giving the commercial strip overlay district that it's in, kind of similar to downtown. Um, we felt that it seemed appropriate to vacate a portion of that right-of-way. Mayor Finkelstein, so I see this as a little different than it's a, and I kind of, I applaud uh, the staff for finding a way to get us there quicker than having to go through a whole replat process, planning commission, city commission, just for that, just to move that to 10 feet. So um, I, I'm, I understand your concerns, Commissioner Lawson, but I'm going to support this. Mayor, I just wanted to um, let you know, Sherry Reedham and City Clerk, that the applicant. The individual, the other party of the agreement has indicated they would like to comment on this item, but I didn't know if you wanted to allow that. Mayor Fingal, I should have given the applicant a chance to speak. I um, didn't realize you were on. Tony, Tony, go ahead. Tony, can you hear me? Oh, we can hear you now. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Mayor Finkelstein, Commissioner. My name is Tony Kresnick. Uh, I'm the owner of Flint Hills Holdings Group, um, and I and I appreciate you letting me talk here. I think that there's quite a bit of confusion around this topic, and I'll try to be brief. Um, the reason that we did not um, 
have this in the original packet way back when is because of the redesign timelines that we ran into. And as a reminder for those that were on the commission at the time, we had to close the project, preserve our tax credits, um, and we're still running up against that timeline. So we went to city staff and asked for a vacation um, just for the patio. And it was recommended for the license while working because as you can imagine, um, we need to we need to pour this slab and we only have one shot to do it. Um, so anyway, that's that's the nature. The why of the patio, I think, is probably as important, if not more than anything. We have a live work community here on the first floor, 10 live work units. And as all of you know, on the commission, we're not going to discriminate against a business. We don't know if that's going to be a coffee shop, a yoga studio an artist that wants to spend clays outdoors. But what we do know, and COVID has taught all of us, is that outdoor space for a commercial space has never been more important. And that's probably not going to go away anytime soon. And so um, this uh, this was just, we, we just took the advice and we took the lead um, of the staff on this license uh, issue while we're working on the vacation I might also add that here in this area, we're also volunteering an easement for our bike path. Um, we volunteered an easement to put a bus stop, not on one of my properties in the neighborhood, but on two of our properties. And we're also gonna install a bike support system uh, for the public. Um, and this patio will have a gate on it that can be accessed by the public so long that they're a patron of the business. In regards to the six foot fence, the upper two feet is actually a sculpture you can see right through it and that's been commissioned by four or five local artists um the lead artist being stephen johnson who's an internationally known artist and also a member of the community who lives down in the warehouse arts district so um, i'm not sure if any of that color helps um paint a more accurate picture here but um but i i, I agree with everybody city staff has been wonderful to work with here uh, we are up against the timeline, and um, and I'm here to answer any questions. Mayor Finkel, I thank you, Tony. Commissioner Larson, did you have a question? Yeah, Commissioner Larson, um, the fence part of it, I that intrigues me because I was really worried about having a six-foot privacy fence there. That it just seemed to me like it could potentially block the view or, or, or uh, of folks going back and forth on the sidewalk. So that that's. Um, clarification for me so just make sure i understand that correctly tony the upper two feet of that will be see-through is that correct thanks so much yeah it's it's almost impossible to explain uh commissioner larson because i don't have a creative mind but if you were to picture a privacy fence that's six foot tall and the upper two feet of it being chain link but not chain link that carved out of you know really cool sculpture um by I, again, I've four, at least four, I believe five, maybe local artists, uh, many of which are from the neighborhood. It's a it's a concept and a design that they came up with. And as a reminder, uh, Commissioner, um, when we applied for this project, we never made a, a firm commitment because we didn't know how much contingency money was going to be left over. But we did make a commitment if there was money that we would make an investment in public art and local artists behind that work. And so we we felt that this would be a, a great way of, of accomplishing a lot of those things that we essentially promised, you know, going back years and years for this project. 
Commissioner Larson, thanks very much, Tony. I really appreciate that information. Uh, uh, I don't, it was it Enrico who had mentioned that it's a, it's a large easement area. Could you give me an idea of how much space is, is left over after, if this would be installed with the 10 foot by 30 foot between the street and the, and the privacy fence or the fence? Enrico MSO, I I believe we would be left with in total width around 70 feet of right of way. So I guess if you were to go from the the crown towards the towards the sidewalk, like 30 to 35 feet of right of way left, something like that. So between the street and the um, the would be the north side of that patio, there would be thirty feet still of easement. Yes, including the street. Yeah, including the street. Okay. This is Commissioner Bully Enrico, how wide is the street? Twenty-four feet, I believe. I, Enrico MSL, I would have to double check these numbers. I apologize. I don't have the site plan or anything in front of me. So Commissioner Larson, so the sidewalk would not be crowded up against the curb. Is that correct? Enrico MSO, that's correct. Okay. Thank you. Mayor Finkel, any further comments or motions or? Um, Commissioner Larson, I would just like to add, I really do appreciate Tony coming on and, and explaining it a little bit more detail, um, especially on the fencing, because that is something that really concerned me that we would block that entire pathway um, from folks being able to see and move through it freely. So that does make a difference for me. Um, and also the fact that it, based on what Enrico said is where the sidewalk is not going to be crowded up against the curb, that there will be some space for it. That makes a huge difference for me too. So with that new information, I'm, I would be willing to support this. Mary Finkel, are you willing to make a motion then? <laughs> or <Yes>. someone else? <laughs> yes, I it. Oh, just one second. I want to check. Um, uh, Mayor, uh, with Commissioner um, Larson, um, do, if if this weren't uh, the particular project, it is your original concern. Is that something you think we need to put on a list somewhere? Um, that um, maybe in another situation, the in, in some way, the taxpayers maybe not being remunerated enough, or um, we're not charging high enough fees for staff work, or whatever uh, the concerns you brought up. Um, or, or, or was this just simply situational? No, I, you know, that, Commissioner Larson, again, um, no, it does concern me that we're giving up basically that large area, 270 square feet, um, and it being concrete pad, it's going to be pretty permanent. It seems to me it's going to be pretty permanent that we're giving that completely up. And it, it sounds like that the to access that you would have to be a, a patron of the business. Of course, that's the way it is downtown too. And I, I appreciate that. But it, 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 I, I think it would be a good idea for us to maybe look at that sometime in the future. I don't think it's definitely not high on the list of the things we need to do, but there's, there should be some consideration given that we're, we're giving up um, that easement area. 
in that in the downtown, they get charged for the, even the restaurant part, um, having the sidewalk cafes. It just seems to me that when we're taking up that much um, space, that, that regardless of whether you're doing dining or coffee or just art work um, there, that there should be a consideration for a fee for that. Because if we, if we reverse that and we ask the property owner to give give up some of their property 270 square feet they would want us to pay for that property and so yeah i do think that that's a consideration we need maybe look into closer mayor fingalai randy did you have a comment on that yeah, this is randy larkin deputy city attorney uh definitely i mean you know we can look at these things but at this point in time we have the right to go back into that property and and close it down by giving them notice so it's not a perpetual license. It's a license basically at will. And if there's any need for us to go in and do utility work, or if there's any type of situation where it becomes a health hazard or a safety hazard or a nuisance, we can shut it down immediately and take over it. So it is a license for them to use it, but it's not a full range, full blown where they have the simple use of it. We, we, we retain a number of rights over that property. I want to make sure everyone's aware of that. I don't know that that's been discussed. Commissioner Larson, thanks for that information, Ray. But isn't that the same with anything on the downtown area where they have the sidewalk cafes ability to eat there that we can get, go in and take that away if, if need be for whatever reason? Absolutely right. That is true. So, Commissioner Larson, so we charge them to do that, to have that. We charge, them, we charge them for using the right of way downtown, and we could charge in this situation if we wanted to um as a temporary as a temporary type of deal we have in some situations we have most of the times not for this type of area but if we needed to take it over and use it again we could take it right away so ultimately whether or not to charge rent on this is a situation is a is a decision that's left for the city commission to make and they made that decision regarding sidewalk dining this doesn't quite fit within sidewalk dining because they're not actually meeting any of the requirements for that but it's very similar, and we could we could have charged them a license fee if we wanted to. Commissioner Larson, yeah, I think there should be consideration for that um, for that very prospect because it, it doesn't seem fair that we're charging the downtown for to have their patios, whether you're drinking a cup of coffee or out there um, working on a paper. Um, it, it just seems like it should be across the board some potential for licensing fee on that. But overall, this is a great project that Tony's putting together, um, and I've supported it from the very beginning. Um, and some of his answers to the questions that I had were adequately addressed, and, and I would move forward with it. But I would like to, for consideration in the future to look at the idea that that we should be fair across the board on these fees for any sort of easement use on a dining situation or just a private use of that property, because that's what it is. Commissioner Larson, if there's no more comments or questions, I can make a motion. Consider authorizing the city manager to execute a license agreement with Tony Kirschneck to install a concrete patio and privacy fence, privacy fence on portion of the city's right of way located at 801 Pennsylvania Street. Commissioner Nondell, second. Mayor Finkelstein, there's a motion by Commissioner Lawson, a, sec a second by Commissioner Ananda. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. 
Commissioner Nanda? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Mayor Finkelday, aye. Passes five to zero. Thank you very much. Good good discussion, and maybe we'll talk about that, that some more in the future. Um, we are now going to move to public comment. The public is allowed to speak on items or issues that are not scheduled for discussion on the agenda. As a general practice, the commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make decisions on items presented during this time. Individuals should address all comments and questions to the commission. Each person will be limited to three minutes. If you're interested in making general public comment, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature, or if you're present, let Sherry know and she will call upon you and you'll have three minutes. No general public comment. Can you just scroll down? I just want to make sure I'm not missing anybody. Sherry Reedeman, City Clerk. Uh, Mayor, no one has indicated they want to make general public comment. Mayor Finkelai, thank you. Vice Mayor Shipley? Um, uh Vice Mayor Shipley, I thought, I'm sorry, I hate to say this, but I, I, I thought I saw earlier Chad Alsdell's on here and he does generally comment at that time, but um, sometimes he has a problem with audio. I just wanted to be sure that we weren't cutting him out here. And... No, you're not cutting me out. I just want to decide to keep my mouth shut, believe it or not. <laughs> I thank you, Chad, for that. Okay, see no public comment. We'll move to regular agenda items. Regular, <laughs> agenda. <laughs> regular agenda item number one is to consider adopting resolution 7366 um, related to the U.S. engineering project. I believe Diane will lead us off on this one. Yes, uh, good evening, Mayor, Commissioners, Diane Stoddard, Assistant City Manager. And um, I'm here to talk with you about this, um, this item related to the U.S. engineering project. So as you'll recall, it, last year, the city commission approved a resolution authorizing this project and authorizing um, support of up to uh, $15 million in industrial revenue bonds and an associated 10-year property tax abatement of 50% or 70% depending on uh, the lead equivalent construction. In um, mid-January of this year, as the project was getting underway, uh, the developer started to work on the project and discovered solid waste that was buried on the site in the area under what would be the pad site, um, which would require excavation in order to get a good foundation uh, for the project. Um, the uh, developer did undergo some investigation and some potholing and testing in areas that would require excavation, and um, estimates of this uh, remediation exceeded $1.5 million. And I should note that this um, kind of remediation does require the solid waste to be removed and appropriately uh, disposed of, and then the addition of soils brought back in to enable, again, the appropriate um, pad site to be created. Uh, these additional costs are significant and uh, not anticipated by the company. 
the uh, and could have um, resulted in the project not proceeding. Uh, the developer ha has agreed to upfront all the costs related to remediation, but has requested some assistance from the local jurisdictions as well as the state with uh, assisting with these costs. And in that, uh, what we're proposing is that the local jurisdictions would participate uh, in the form of increasing the amount of the property tax abatement that enables all of the local jurisdictions to contribute um, their portion over the life of the uh, abatement. So over a 10 year period um, in the amount of an additional approximately $700,000. And that would um, necessitate increasing the uh, property tax abatement that was provided to the company last year. Again, that was in the amount of 50 or 70% uh, to increase that to 70 or 90%. The state has also agreed to increase um, its participation in the project by approximately 500,000. And US engineering would participate in the remaining costs as well as upfront of the costs for the remediation and conduct the remediation um, itself, as well as be responsible in the event that there is any additional solid waste that is found at the site. Um, and we believe that this solution will enable the project to be able to move forward. And in fact, U.S. Engineering has been operating out of the site at its own risk um, to, uh, is to not add additional costs to the project by completely halting it. And uh, that remediation work has been ongoing. So resolution uh, 7366 that is before you this evening would authorize the increase in the property tax abatement amount uh, that, that I mentioned um, it uh, so that it would be again a 70 or 90% depending on lead certification um, or equivalency. And uh, we understand that the developer is planning to uh, have this project be a lead equivalent. So it, would, it will likely be at the 90% level. Um, and then this would also increase the authorized amount of the industrial revenue bonds uh, to 17 million, which would cover the additional remediation costs. As part of this process, uh, we did uh, conduct a benefit cost analysis um, on the, the project and found that this um, would be a positive benefit cost ratio to all of the taxing jurisdictions uh, that would be above the 1.25 uh, threshold of benefit cost ratio required in the city's policy. Um, and uh, with that, just to remind you uh, this evening, you will need to resume the public hearing that you had previously deferred and then consider this resolution and um, authorize the first amendment to the land transfer agreement. And I would like to point out that um, on the call this evening is uh, Dan Jensen from Kessinger Hunter, who is the developer on the project, Brandon Wyckoff, who is Vice President of Administration uh, with U.S. Engineering, uh, Kevin Wimpy, who is the city's bond council, and also Britt Crumcano, the city's economic development administrator, is also here in case you have questions for her. And with that, I'll be happy to answer any questions that you may have. Mayor Finkel, are there questions for Diane at this point? I'll go ahead and officially open the 
the public hearing. And then I'd ask if Brandon or Dan, did you want to say anything before we open it to public comment? Um, just would like to thank Diane and Steve Kelly, Diane Stoddard and Steve Kelly for all the help they've been in navigating these troubled waters. And uh, uh, we appreciate the city letting us come back before them to discuss this. <clears throat> And yeah, uh, thank you, Brandon Wyckoff, U.S. Engineering. Um, I'll second that. There's been a lot of hard work that's gone into this on on all accounts, um, and that's really gotten us where we are today. So we appreciate it. Mayor Finkelad, thank you for those comments. I'll go ahead and open it up to public comment um, before we bring it back to the commission. Again, public hearing item. If you Wishing to speak on this item, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature, or if you're present, let Sherry know, and she will call upon you. Steve. Steve Kelly. Thank you. Um, hello, Mayor Finkeldye and members of the commission. Uh, Steve Kelly, Lawrence Chamber, Douglas County EDC. Back in 2019, when I spoke in support of catalyst approval for U.S. Engineering Metalworks, I stated that U.S. Engineering Metalworks is a strong company, a company with 100 plus years of history and positive reputation in its industry, and that it would be a great addition to the Lawrence community. As I speak to you this evening and urge your adoption of proposed resolution number 7366, authorizing a 70 to 90 percent property tax abatement for U.S. Engineering Metalworks, all those things stated in 2019 are still true. U.S. Engineering Metalworks, since catalyst approval in 2019, has continued to advance the project, albeit a bit more slowly than originally anticipated, but through design and building scope changes, lot reconfigurations, and the unprecedented disruptions and challenges brought about by the COVID pandemic in 2020, which paused the project for a time, they have continued to advance their vision for a Lawrence facility. As significant site work began at the site in January, solid waste was discovered buried within the footprint of the proposed building site. This was a problem that was not anticipated and was of a scope and nature that required appropriate removal, disposal, and the addition of replacement soil to render a buildable site. But it, thankfully, it did not involve any environmentally hazardous materials. Extensive probing, pot boiling, or pot, pot holding, excuse me, and testing in areas which need to be excavated to build, identify the cost of trash removal and necessary remediation to obtain an appropriately biddable site at $1.5 million. These costs are significant and threaten the project's ability to proceed. The stack recommendations you have for approval of enhanced abatement under the Catalyst Program is a means by which the city can provide support and be part of a shared solution to this problem. The revised tax abatement as proposed will generate an additional $700,000 over the life of the 10-year abatement, while the remainder of the $1.5 million remediation cost will be shared by the company in the state of Kansas, which will substantially increase its project support over its former offer. U.S. Engineering has also agreed to be responsible for the remediation and will front the cost of required remediation while assuming any additional costs should the actual cost come in above the current estimate. Your approval of this shared solution enables the project to move forward to benefit the community. Should the commission not adopt resolution number 7366, providing the enhanced abatement, and should the project ultimately be abandoned, we stand to lose the 140 high paying jobs, 
substantial capital investment, and the opportunity to add a quality company to the ranks of our local business community. We also will have a site, should that happen, that will need substantial remediation for it to be marketable, with the cost associated with that remediation becoming the sole responsibility of the city. I urge that the commission take action to adopt resolution number 7366 to allow this project to move forward to completion. Thank you. This is Sherry Riedemann, city clerk. There's no other public comment on this item. Mayor Finkelai, I would bring it back to the commission and I guess I would start by saying and ending where Steve, or starting where Steve ended, which is, you know, if the members of the, the public or the folks watching don't fully appreciate, this is the land that the city owns and that we were trying to sell. And if, if, if this project didn't move forward, we would have been um, the ones trying to clean this up so that we could use it for an additional project. So I certainly appreciate, um, you know, the, you know, the support of the state of Kansas and the additional funds that they put into this and U.S. Engineering for working with us and funding these costs so that we can proceed with this project in, in really a way that benefits everyone. And so I certainly appreciate um, this project and appreciate the cooperation both of U.S. Engineering and the state to, to get this to the finish line. Any other questions, comments? Mr. Commissioner Boley, I would like to say thank you for the perseverance that's been shown on this project. I really appreciate it. Uh, staff, State of Kansas, U.S. Engineering, and, and all the folks that are doing it. It's really important for our community to be successful that we can actually get things like this done in spite of the things that come and get in the way. So, again, thank you so much. Mayor Vice Mayor Shipley, um, yeah, I, I agree, um, uh, Mayor and uh, Commissioner Woolley, um, uh, would love to thank uh, U.S. Engineering for their patience and um, being such a, a good partner and so committed. Um, at the cost of unfurling a ribbon, um, I'm not sure if this is a better question for Diane or perhaps even uh, the city manager, Owing to the fact that we have found some things that we were unaware of um, out, outside of the original um, taking over this property by the city, um, are there um, other avenues um, of uh, funding that perhaps were not pursued uh, because we didn't know the extent of the damage? Um, or are there, are there other funds that we could access uh, having learned more about this in the future, not for this site particularly, but just for the, for the benefit of the taxpayers, um, we did take this over and it is a city responsibility. And I just wanna make sure we have um, investigated every possibility um, of federal or state funding um, for these new things that we find. Yes, Commissioner, I think I can take that question. And then um, if anybody has anything to add, feel free. Diane Stoddard, Assistant City Manager. So uh, in answer to your question, um, we are actively looking at um, some additional funding mechanisms for some of the cleanup work, um, as you know, and have been presented 
um, related to the the overall cleanup of the site and and our property to the north. Um, there are some opportunities, some new opportunities that have just availed themselves uh, through the American Rescue Plan Act, as an example. So we will be aggressively pursuing any and all of those uh, potential um, additional mechanisms to assist with the city's ongoing responsibilities in this area. This is Commissioner Ananda. I think these properties have been the gifts that keep on giving. Um, so I'm very grateful for the perseverance and the commitment to our community shown um, by continuing work on, on this and in, in good faith that we would, we would be able to um, one, realize that, that we would be doing the cleanup if, if you all weren't, but um, what you're bringing to this community is valuable. And I think it shows reciprocal um, respect and excitement about, about what's to come. Um, so I, I'm just very appreciative of that, um, that we are going to continue to pursue other ways to continue to mitigate um, this property and are these properties and um, how we continue to work together to, to develop that space. So thank you. Commissioner, Commissioner Larson, um, I would just, uh, before I make any comments, I would ask that uh, staff provide just a little bit of um, background. Um, I know they got, they were given technical reports and technical data on the, on the cleanup as well as the investigation. If they could give me an idea of how they, um, what sort of confidence level do they have in the, in the data they were given? Are we um, sure that we've defined the extent of the problem and um, any other information that, that Trevor might have? Uh, sure, Trevor Flynn, uh, MSO General Manager, Environment, Health and Science. Uh, Commissioner Larson, uh, yeah, I've evaluated the test hold data they, they did. Um, it lines up very well with a uh, site characterization that was performed in 2005. Uh, back then, soil samples were collected from 29 borings in 14 sediment locations across what was known as Area F uh, on the site, and that is a part of this property. Um, generally, that, that larger area, as we move on the east side of their pad site, um, that area was, was kind of labeled for no action, um, didn't require anything. And then as we got into the area where, where they saw um, th there was a one test hole that had some nitrate uh, concentrations, ammonia concentrations, but then the ones near it didn't have anything. And that was very consistent because as their investigation, they, they kind of came across that too, where it was limited um, concentrations here and there, which is probably having to do with which debris uh, was under there. If it was maybe perhaps a, a bag with, with a little bit of nitrates in there or something that was acting like, like fertilizer there. So, so it was very consistent. As we went to the Western edge of the property, uh, that the old investigation uh, founded uh, areas of, of some buried material. Um, again, not, not real consistent other than four areas, and those four areas are uh, restricted areas that, that they've had exercise care with on this project. But, uh, um, you know, one of the challenges with those was, was compaction issues as well. Mm -hmm. Commissioner Larson, thanks very much, Trevor. I really appreciate that information. Um, the, um, I want to thank U.S. Engineering for sticking with us on this. Um, as uh, Commissioner Nanda said, this seems to be the property that keeps on giving to us. And, and um, But, you know, all in all, we've done quite a bit of development there. And the fact that U.S. Engineering is, is still here working with us, it's, it's, 
you know, I'm so glad to see that. I really do appreciate it. Also appreciate the work that Diane did on this. I know she did some pretty heavy lifting, um, getting the state involved, um, as well as finding funds that we could add to this to ensure the, that we're going to get this thing across the finish line, so to speak. So, so I, I, you know, I'm obviously I'm going to support this. Um, we need to get it done. Um, we're doing really well on, on, the assessments out there as far as getting them paid for. As we all know, we've got about almost $10 million worth of assessments that, that the city right now is paying off. And anytime we get another business in there, that helps pay those down where the city's not responsible. The Lawrence taxpayers aren't responsible for that. So again, thanks very much and I'll support this. Mayor Finkelai, any other comments? If not, I look for a motion. Mayor, do you mind just, um, sorry, Sherry Regan and City Clerk, just stating that the public hearing is closed, just for the record. Mayor Fingalai, everyone knows the importance of the City Clerk now. See, this is important. <laughs> this is important. So um, thank you, Sherry. I did forget that. So I will close the, the public hearing and then bring it back for a motion. This is Commissioner Ananda. I would move that we adopt resolution number 7366, authorizing up to 17 million in tax exempt industrial revenue bond financing and a 10 year approximately 70 or 90% property tax abatement for the US Engineering Metalworks project and authorize the first amendment to the land transfer and development agreement. Vice Mayor Shipley, second. Mayor Fingalai, there's a motion by Commissioner Ananda, a second by Vice Mayor Shipley. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Mayor Fingledi, aye. Passes five to zero. And again, thank you everyone for your hard work on this. And we can't wait for the, the facility to open and, and uh, celebrate with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. <clears throat> Mayor Fingledi, um, Let's see, anyone need a break before we move to the next item? See none? Wait, Vice oh, Mayor, uh, yeah. I, I did notice that their presentation is 76 pages long. So oh. if that means two hours, then <laughs> it does not. Okay. <laughs> Margaret says it will not take two hours. So that not is, at all. That is good. Okay, well, we'll push ahead here and uh, we're gonna receive the presentation from the Lawrence Arts Center, the Watkins Museum and Theater Lawrence. And I don't know if anyone from city staff is gonna kick this off, but if not, I would say I appreciate um, receiving this presentation. And, and I think this is gonna be some great information for us and the public. And so Margaret, looks like you're gonna kick us off here. I am. Let me just make sure I'm sharing the right one. Okay. Okay. I think I'm sharing the right one. Um, hi, everybody. Um, I am Margaret Weisbrod Morris. I'm the CEO of the Lawrence Art Center, and I am here presenting with my colleagues, Mary Doveton, who's the executive director of Theater Lawrence, and Steve Novak, who's the executive director of the Watkins Museum. Uh, we want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to share information about our industry and businesses with you, and we appreciate your time as well as your service to the community. 
We are sharing a ton of information with you, not 76 pages worth, <laughs> and I want to respect your time. So I will go pretty quickly through this. Um, I may skip through some slides, but if you're interested in something that I skip, please let me know and I'll stop. Um, also, if I slip up and say just arts doing this because that's the part of this business that I work in, I'm actually really speaking about the overall field of arts and culture. So let's start out, hold up. Okay, before we start, whenever I give this talk or talk about art, I always ask people, why are we talking about arts and culture? Why is it important to share information about this industry, especially this year? I go back to my favorite quote from Winston Churchill. Oops, that was anticlimactic. Okay, um, there we go. Um, and he was asked about to cut funding for the arts during World War II. He essentially said, then what are we fighting for? Um, and then cuts the chase about how fundamental arts and culture are in our everyday lives. Um, you know, I always use this example too. When NASA sends a probe out into deep space, what do they include in it to explain who we are? Art, the arts. I'm having trouble advancing. Oh. Sorry, folks, I'm having trouble advancing. Oh, there we go. Um, the arts and humanities are the infrastructure of our culture, the record of who we are, and a pillar of democracy. They matter because we matter, and that's why I talk about them. So I'm going to give you a really short, brief look about um, what arts and culture looked like pre-pandemic, uh, some of the impact it has on education, uh, workforce development, um, health and wellness, public welfare, community development, and the economy. There is a ton of information. I'm only touching the tip of the iceberg here um, when I give this talk. So if you're specifically interested in any of this, let me know. I can give you much more um, information about it. Um, okay. So I'm a painter and an art therapist. And so I always start out um, with a huge slide um, with a metaphor. Um, the metaphor is that um, cultural organizations are like farms, but instead of food, we produce culture. So it's, you know, Arts organizations are places, we use equipment, supplies, and we plant things and they grow. And, and what we plant is programs. And what we grow is social impact. In the arts industry, this growth is mostly social impact in this area. Uh, this is the area that has the most robust research um, in it. It's just, um, I'm using just literally just a couple examples of, um, of this research. If you really wanna know more about it, there's something called um, the Social Impact Explorer um, that Americans for the Arts um, puts out and it's a really neat tool. And if you're really interested in any area that might be impacted at the arts, um, you, you can go there and look at it. Um, oh man, I'm having some technical problems. Sorry, folks. I'm going to actually exit out from sharing and come back. My apologies. 
There we go. Can you see that now? Okay. All right. What? I'm so sorry. Super embarrassing. Okay. Education and workforce development. Research shows this is an area that is very, very um, robustly studied. Um, research shows that basically if you participate in the arts, if you study the arts, especially as a youth, um, somebody, a young person, you will just be, it'll improve your success factors in both your academics and career. Um, youth who regularly engage in the arts um, have all these five times less likely to drop out, score, you know, boost their SAT scores, and they're, much, they're more likely to graduate from college, and 78% more likely to vote. Um, also, this information was robustly studied by the NEA, and, um, and Harvard uh, School of Graduate Education was kind of where it started, and it caught the attention of the corporate America. And so the, the conference board uh, started to survey um, top executives and they put a survey out in 2010 um, asking, what are you interested in? What are the, what degrees are you looking for? What's, what do you value the most? And an MFA was in the top three degrees that um, Fortune 500 um, executives were looking to hire. Um, creativity was among the top three skills. It actually was the top skill. The other two were communication and teamwork, and those were um, research shows that those are skills that are learned in the arts, are primarily learned in the arts, um, and Art City is ranked um, number two in employee the qualifications, like I said, and that 50% of those uh, executives who were asked credited their success, their personal success, to uh, study in the arts previous to their, to their work. get this going. Okay, let's talk about health and wellness. So this is an area as an art therapist I've worked in. Uh, health and wellness, the impact that our art study has is it's, um, it actually physically changes your body and your brain. It's very parallel and, and um, correlates with uh, meditation practice. So benefits of meditation that you see. Uh, also, it's almost exactly the same as participating in an art form. Um, so as a result, <laughs> the health community, I'm an art therapist. I, I worked in this area. Uh, actually, my residency was uh, in an OT unit, um, and it was used in a brain injury study. Um, so the health community really values this. It actually, interestingly enough, has an impact on public welfare, and, I, and I'll, I'll dig into this a little bit. The arts contribute to safe communities. Uh, this research was done mostly with um, urban settings um, in under, urban under-resourced neighborhoods. And it was uh, specifically looking at after-school programs and then community projects around public art. Um, and it found that it had these impacts, this impact. Um, lower rates of juvenile delinquency and truancy, 15% fewer reports of abuse and neglect, which is... Um, incredible. And also that in this, you under, when you understand about how arts connect people, um, especially around a common task, um, people who participate in art experiences score higher on trust, empathy, and tolerance. 
it has an impact on community development, which um, I think a lot of us are familiar with. I mean, that's an easy one. Uh, specifically, first of all, civic pride and civic involvement. Um, it correlates with that. Two times the level of civic engagement is in um, as neighborhoods that do not have easy access to cultural opportunities. So this is culture-rich uh, communities. So um, communities like Lawrence that have um, a lot of cultural organizations in it, doing a lot of work in the community. Um, 16 times more likely to report people uh, who are engaging with those organizations are 1.6 times more likely to report they feel connected to their neighbors. And 40% of their participants feel more positive about their community after an arts experience. Again, when you think about what people do coming around a common goal um, and uniting around it, that is, uh, and having something um, they can be proud of and, and value, um, that makes a lot of sense. Um, we also, I think a lot of us are familiar with how impacts, how arts and culture, having a cultural organization in an area um, adds to growth. So, um, a lot of this study came was rooted in the creative placemaking movement. Um, so having a cultural organization um, in a neighborhood is shown to increase property values. Um, Arts-based community developer um, development um, projects increase tax re revenues, for instance, um, in the city of Phoenix, there was a neighborhood that it was a commercial neighborhood that was um, had wasn't at very active anymore. Kind of um, people just weren't going there anymore. Um, kind of an urban core spot, and they created a culture dis district around it. They put some um, incentives around um, businesses that were located there, and in one year, they showed a hundred and five increase in their tax revenue. And um, it, and at the same, in the same year where the entire city overall saw a decline. Um, and that is not a raise, a, you know, raising taxes. That's just people, that's just commerce. People out and about spending money in that neighborhood. So now I'm gonna dive into a little bit more of the economic impact. Um, this is information that, um, about this industry that is from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the Brookings Institute. I also, um, it's not, I didn't include it on this list, but the Bureau of Economic Analysis, and then also Americans for the Arts. And <clears throat> I think a lot of folks in this group are probably familiar with Americans for the Arts. They do uh, something called the Arts and Economic uh, Prosperity Report. They do it every couple of years. Lawrence is very lucky to be included as a community on there. And basically what they do is they just mine the information, the public information that's out there about um, where the business, where business is happening, what it's doing, where it's going. And they crunch the numbers and they, um, they publish it. Um, this figure is actually from U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Uh, the arts and culture are a huge business. Uh, it's 4.5% of the U.S. GDP. It's a nine, $919 billion industry, which is more than construction, mining, manufacturing, agriculture, and transportation. Many of those have a cabinet in the, in, in the funding world, in the federal world, um, have a cabinet member um, who's appointed to uh, in a department that oversees and stabilizes the industry. The arts, while we have federal groups, we do not, it's not, um, it, it's not, doesn't have the power or the clout that those, those situations do, even though it's a bigger business in the U.S. 3% of all U.S. employees, arts and culture industry. 
And it's actually one of the fastest growing industries in the country and also the world based in the United States. Um, 3% growth in creative industries as opposed to 2.6% nationally. Um, It's also, we as in the U.S. have um, arts and cultural exports have a a surplus, um, $33 billion worth. So this is what Kansas and Douglas County looks like. Kansas, arts and culture is 3% of businesses, um, almost 3% of the GDP and about 40, just just over 45,000 jobs. Um, This is not, um, it's kind of on the lower scale nationally. However, in Douglas County, we're better than, our numbers are better than the rest of the country. Our averages are higher than averages um, around the U.S. So that tells you how culture rich this community is. Um, uh, $30.8 million um, are generated in the local economy from commerce related to and directly related to and ripples in the pond related to um, arts and culture. So for every dollar spent, on cultural activity, it generates $24.25 in the local economy. Um, you can see the, how much is generated there in government, local government re- revenue and state government, government revenue. Um, Lawrence, we're, we're punching way above our weight class in Lawrence. Um, it's about two times as much as other uh, communities our size or who are comparable to us. A little information about <laughs> us, the, what, our, the, who's here presenting to you tonight. Lawrence Art Center, we have a $3.2 million budget. We have 51 staff people. We employ tw- uh, 225 contract artists. We're actually the largest employer of contract artists in the state of Kansas. And we see about um, a quarter million people annually in this building. Uh, Theater Lawrence is $1 million budget, 10 staff, 85 contract artists, and uh, 30 thousand annual attendance, the Watkins, uh, $512,000 annual budget, 11 staff, and 25,000 annual attendance. And this is our these city organization's combined economic impact in the city. This is from Americans for the Arts has an economic impact calculator. So they mine the data um, and they have formulas <laughs> that you can then take your information. They ask you a series of questions about your organization, budget, ticket prices, things like that, um, and it generates um, your impact for you. And this is our combined, Theater Lawrence, Lawrence Art Center, and Watkins. And as you can see, it's about a third of what is generated in uh, Lawrence Douglas County. Now we're gonna talk about COVID-19. The arts are primarily Uh, arts and culture are primarily industries that rely on interactive social experiential activities activities to do our business Um, so social distancing has eradicated um, much of what we're able to do um, throughout the industry not just here in Florence it's throughout the U.S. actually the world Uh, COVID-19 has um, really crippled the industry worldwide actually I believe the U.N. has declared it a global cultural crisis So when the pandemic first happened, this is kind of what what it looked like. So 88% um, of the organizations shuttered shuttered their doors um, at some point uh, during the pandemic. One in 10 cultural organizations do not expect to stay open through this. One in 10 expect to 
close permanently. Before relief money, before the CARES Act, one in three expected to not be able to reopen at all and to just um, close permanently. Um, almost everybody is virtual, doing virtual programming. And uh, most people, most organizations are functioning um, at about a third, <laughs> zero to a third of our normal revenue. However, if you stayed open, those of us who stayed open, your expenses have pretty much stayed the same. So it, what I'm, the point is, is basically everybody in the industry is operating at a, at a huge loss. Um, we, and this is part of the survey, Americans for the Arts, this is all um, from Americans for the Arts, who immediately started um, going out and uh, gathering this information from um, the industry. 90% um, of organizations reported that they were taking the hit because, and they were willing to take the hit because they didn't want to lay their staff off. Um, and also they needed to be there to support their community's health and well-being. So yeah, um, let's have a pandemic and then add an economic crisis on top of it. Um, the pandemic economic crash has led to, like I said, the UN has declared this a cultural crisis globally. Um, arts and culture has, was identified by the Brookings Institute and the Bureau of Economic Analysis as the most at-risk sector um, because of the high rate of gig work, gig and freelance workers in the industry, um, almost everybody who works in this industry, including myself, <laughs> has been a gig worker, a contractor worker, or receives part of their income um, through this this way. So, like, let's say it's me. This would be my CEO would be my day job. My other my gig job is um, selling my paintings um, at a gallery um, or performing somewhere. Um, the unemployment rate is 60% now, currently, versus 6% nationally. One third of the jobs lost in the United States are arts and culture employees. 95% of the workers in the sex sector have lost work at some point in the pandemic or completely lost every all work. Um, in this, performing arts has been the most deeply effective, uh, affected. When you think about Performing arts, people are on stage, they're singing aerosols, they're dancing, breathing hard aerosols. They're sitting in front of, in front of a large group who's watching them and breathing. Um, it's really, it has been impossible. Um, and as a result, it's affected that industry um, more heavily than the rest of the industry, although it's all been affected. So 50% of the jobs lost in the entire sector are related to the performing arts. So as I said, hitting the point home, it's been drastic. 90% um, of the organizations um, closed and 96% of the organizations canceled programming in the early response to the pandemic. <clears throat> and as a, Americans for the Arts has been tracking this really pretty like monthly. Um, so as of February, 2021, only um, like 25% have reopened. 16% plan to reopen later um, sometime this year. 48% couldn't report um, a target date for reopening, which tells you something. Um, and 11% believe they will not be able to reopen at all. Um, and I am very proud to say that the majority of the arts and cultural institutions in Lawrence did not close. Again, very, very, um, very dedicated, passionate, um, 
sector in this in this city. 68% have reduced staff, staff um, and only 2%, so the, are, are the organizations that did not close are in that top 2% like that didn't um, close and maintain their pre-COVID staffing. Um, but then 60% of the industry says they will have to continue to reduce staff. So this is what it looks like um, nationally. Um, 150 billion um, lost in revenue and 2.7 million jobs lost. Um, this is still ongoing, like I said, um, but with, and without continued relief programs, one in three arts organizations may close permanently. And those are also, um, it's just gonna continue spinning. So this is what it looks like in Kansas and Douglas County. Um, in Douglas County, um, even though we have over a thousand cultural employees, only 24 jobs reported um, lost. So there has been relief um, to the CARES Act. Uh, there was 164 million direct aid to arts and culture through um, federal agencies, um, the NEA, NEA, the um, NEA's National Endowment for the Arts, NEH's National Endowment for Humanities, and IMLS is the Institute for Muse Museum and Library Studies. Um, Kansas tied for the bottom three um, in receiving cultural, direct cultural aid. Um, only $200,000 was lost, I mean, was given in, um, in the state and 12.7 million lost. Um, we, arts and cultural organizations were absolutely eligible for PPP loans and um, some spark money for um, public health mitigation and Douglas County did include arts and culture, um, a consortium of arts and cultural organizations for CARES Act um, support. And they were one of the few counties in the country that did. Um, in the new bill, uh, in the ARPA, um, there's 16 billion direct aid to arts and culture. Remember, there's been 150 billion loss. Um, so it's just about 10% of what the losses have been. It's very, uh, mo the majority of the money is being given um, through competitive grant processes. Um, and Kansas does not fare well in those um, competitive grant, it has a history of not performing well um, in those competitive grant processes. Um, uh, and there's 15 billion in the Shuttered Venue Operators Grant um, program, uh, which is mostly oriented towards and targeted at performing arts organizations. So um, you're, it's a, you're in dicey territory if you are primarily a visual arts organization um, or you know something that is not related to performing arts. Um, again, there is some non-competitive aid, again, through second draw PPP loans. And this time around, um, gig workers, contract workers were um, included in unemployment. Um, and on top of all this, let's have a revolution. <laughs> Um, so last summer, uh, there's an, there's a company called the Placa Cohen. They are a marketing firm and, but they're kind of like the Gallup, uh, for arts and culture industries. And they study culture. They study how people are consuming culture. And when the Black Lives Matter movement started, they said, we've got to go out and see, we got to serve, we got to do something. And so they did, they surveyed the field and they came back, um, letting us all know in the field that we're primarily, 
you know, middle-aged, urban, college-educated, and white. Um, so it really has caused the field to, t- field to take a look at itself. Um, so there's a lot of initiatives happening. There's a lot of protests happening. I don't know if you've read anything about protests at the MoMA, um, the Guggenheim, uh, places like that. A lot of the bigs are seeing a lot of pushback and push for change. Um, There's a national effort that um, people in Lawrence are are involved in called PAC, and it's a uh, coalition um, to define a national strategy to advance equity with policy leader, you know, policy leaders, the philanthropic community, um, and that's work to be done, but it is, the steps are being taken. So what have we done? You know, what's happened? How's this, you know, how did we deal with all this? Um, We adapted. <laughs> we're artists. That's what we do. That's what we're trained for. Um, adaption is just another word for creativity. So um, we rolled up our sleeves and got to work and uh, really got to work expanding where art happens, wherever that is. A lot of it happened to be needed to be virtual, <clears throat> but also outdoors, traveling. I mean, lots of different um, people were just th- like, like spaghetti, throwing spaghetti at a wall and seeing what would stick. Um, and the you know year out from doing all this, what we've seen is that it's really expanded our audiences. Um, I know all of the uh, all Mary and Steve and I have all seen ticket sales and participation from other countries, not just other states, but other countries. Um, we had a girl participate in a young girl could participate in summer youth theater last year from Ghana. Um, you know, it's it's it, which is a beautiful thing to see. Um, however, it's very difficult to monetize it. The online world is very different than the in-person experiential world. And, and that's the real struggle right now in the organization and arts organization. So just a little picture of what that looks like. Um, you know, there's people, the online, the cultural virtual programming, um, that market does not bear the same price formulas and prices that um, in-person experiences bear, markets bear, but it's the same work. And then you have additional equipment layered on top of it. So it's actually more expensive to produce. Um, so it's, a, it's been a real challenge and has added to the operating at a loss <clears throat> situation. But glass half full, arts and culture can be anywhere and everywhere and we're proven. So now we're looking at recovery. You know, we see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, the conversations that are happening are how do we ju- help jumpstart the economy? How do we unify our communities? What can we do? How do we invite people to re-engage and re-enter life in public? Um, because we've all been, you know, in our bedrooms at, at looking at screens for a year and a half. Um, but we do know that as we move into the future, especially with the um, surge in mental health issues and challenges as a result of the trauma of the pandemic, um, arts and culture is um, going to be incredibly important. So this is a quote from the Brookings Institute that I will uh, let you read. Um, It's essentially saying, you know, in order to recover this industry, um, it's it's the small stopgap measures are probably not going to help it recovery. There has to be a substantial and sustained um, recovery strategy nationwide, locally, uh, cooperation between everybody on the field um, to help this industry recover. Um, And if we can do that, we will. 
um, it is being estimated right now to um, recovery is going to be about five years. Um, that has changed with the Recovery Act money and with people discussing and the attention that um, these facts have um, garnered is it was initially seven years. So um, there's that. And Jennifer, that's for you. <laughs> I'm going to pass the baton over to Mary Dubton, my colleague, Mary Dubton. Thank you, Margaret. Uh, I don't know about the rest of you, but my head is spinning with all the facts and figures and uh, information that Margaret shared with you. Uh, and I live it every day. So I can only imagine getting it for the first time. I, I don't want to bury you with facts and figures in the same kind of way, but what I'd like to do is personalize things a little bit more and maybe bring your attention to the performing arts industry here in Lawrence. Um, and, and I'd like to do that actually by starting with Broadway. Remember on March 12th, 2020, Broadway went dark. And I've got to say, I remember that date specifically because it's my birthday. <laughs> what a terrible association. But as Broadway went dark, all of the museums, the theaters, the concert halls across the country followed suit. And all of these institutions, all of these businesses that were built to bring people together were suddenly shuttered and dark. And I, I want you to think back about your own life during this last year and, and what you were doing through all those long months. And I know you were all zooming in and out of these wonderful meetings uh, and, and doing things with families and, and your small pod of friends. But if you were like most of us, you were engaging in a lot of screen time. And if you remember back last summer, one of the hottest screen things to come along was the musical Hamilton as it made the transition from the stage to the screen. And I know most of you probably have seen it. It's a great show. It's a fantastic experience. But I would like to remind you that the end of that show was about eight minutes of credits. And those credits included the army of artists that it took to make that production possible. Not just the actors and the singers, but also the caterers, the wig makers, the sound technicians, the costumers, the armorers, the carpenters, the scenic painters, all those hundreds of people who worked to bring that production into your living room. And the irony of that for all of us is that as we were all sitting there enjoying that show, all of those people who made it were probably unemployed. Most people in the performing arts industry are part of what Margaret was talking about. They're part of our gig economy. 
which means they go show to show, job to job, position to position. And that's not just in New York, that's across the country. We have many, many people in Lawrence who are members of this gig economy. And we rely on them. They, they're fantastic artists. Between the Art Center and Theater Lawrence, we probably employ about 340 gig artists every year. These are the folks that choreograph some of the shows, that teach the classes, that do the music directing, that play the trumpet, that come in and work with the kids programming. They're working a series of jobs for us, for the Arts Center. They might also be working in your favorite coffee shop. They might be working temp jobs. They're stringing jobs together. Of those 340 people that we would have employed during this past year, we've employed virtually none. which is a scary proposition, both for, for us as institutions, for the people who benefit from their, their wonderful talents, and obviously for them. Um, these are people who live in our community, who shop in our stores, who pay their taxes, who pay their rent, who drive their cars, who are part of our overall economy. I think Margaret gave the number, but I want to reinforce it. In the we all talk about you know the the economy and, and the unemployment rate and and everything associated with it, but please realize that in the performing arts industry, our current unemployment rate is fifty two percent. That's a lot of people. And that isn't just people in New York, that's people here in Lawrence as well. Uh, about 10 years ago, as Commissioner Boley probably remembers, I came before this commission and I asked for the city to invest $100,000 in a capital campaign to build a new theater. And that $7.2 million project has resulted in the creation of jobs, both full-time jobs, part-time jobs, contract jobs, gig working jobs. It has resulted in hundreds of thousands of people experiencing classes and shows and all kinds of experiences here at the theater. They're currently experiencing vaccine clinics, and we hope to use those to bring people back in in another way. But pre-pandemic, 65% of Theater Lawrence's income was generated through ticket sales and classes. After the closures and gathering limits of the past year, those income streams have been severely curtailed even open again, a theater that normally seats 300 people shrinks to about 90 if social distancing is applied. 
This in turn affects an institution's ability not only to pay those gig workers, but also to pay things like utilities, insurance, landscaping, maintenance. This summer, the theater will again move back outside. We're one of those creative outlets that, that Margaret was talking about. We couldn't perform inside last year, so we built a stage in the parking lot. So we're gonna move back outside and we're gonna do some plays and some musicals and some concerts and some movies in a safe, enjoyable atmosphere where we will pair hot popcorn with cold champagne. We uh, will be joined this year as the Arts Center moves many of their activities to South Park. Watkins Museum will continue to stream many of its activities online. We're stretching to reach and serve the residents and the visitors to our institutions. Costs are up. Lumber alone has risen 320% since last year, which makes set building extraordinarily expensive. Capacity is down. Patronage is uncertain with the data that Margaret referred to and some of the theater data says we won't even begin to approach 2019 levels of participation and attendance until probably 2023. As institutions, we're struggling to bring back our workers and fulfill our missions. Yet the arts continue to teach the kids and entertain the visitors, to share the stories and the songs and the history, because that very sharing of hopes and fears, sadnesses and joys, are what help us and what help us all to get through pandemics and to reflect on what life is all about. Okay, that's, that's my eloquence. And now I'm sure uh, Steve has a few more pertinent things to, to add to that. Uh, thank you, Mary, although I'm afraid I, I will not be nearly as eloquent. Uh, I'm Steve Novak. I'm the executive director of the Douglas County Historical Society and the Watkins Museum, uh, Watkins Museum of History in uh, downtown, that big red brick building that everyone knows. Um, and uh, my colleagues asked that um, I share a little bit about uh, where our organization started and where that leads us now. And um, there, I think that's a little bit better. Um, the the uh, Theater Lawrence and uh, the Lawrence Art Center and the Watkins Museum all uh, have their beginnings in an incredibly uh, creative, cooperative time way back around 1970. Um, this was a period in Lawrence history where uh, local government and uh, the community and uh, grassroots cultural organizations were finding uh, creative and cooperative ways to build the community's uh, arts and culture infrastructure. Uh, it was a time that began with the opening of the city's first municipal pool. Uh, it saw the preservation of the uh, 
uh, Union Pacific Depot as a visitor center, uh, the building of a new library, uh, the founding of Theodore Lawrence, uh, and uh, the establishment of uh, the Lawrence Arts Center uh, with a facility provided by that old library building, what we know as the Carnegie Building today. Um, and it also saw uh, the um, ownership of the former uh, old city hall, uh, the Watkins Building, to the Douglas County Historical Society, uh, who raised privately money to renovate the building and open a museum, and county government stepping up to help uh, provide the funds that it took to operate that for the public. Um, those solutions of 50 years ago uh, produced organizations that uh, were creative, um, willing to uh, find unusual solutions to, uh, to uh, operating and to uh, continuing to grow and thrive. Uh, it created organizations that have very robust community support. Uh, and it also created organizations that are quite self-reliant. Um, uh, Mary already mentioned the 65% um, of their operating expense that they, uh, that they earn. Uh, the Watkins Museum earns or raises about 50% of the uh, funding that it needs to survive. Um, the the uh, issue that we face now, 50 years later, um, uh, it's actually twofold. One kind of inherent in those solutions that brought our organizations uh, into existence 50 years ago, and uh, another uh, of the time that we're dealing with with the pandemic. And I won't go into the pandemic part too much because it's already been covered. Um, but what we found, or what we've learned really in, in, um, uh, in working our way through the pandemic of last year is that we need to become new organizations. Um, we we have found interesting new ways to engage the public uh, and not just our old public, but a whole new one. I know certainly from the Watkins Museum, um, we, uh, we uh, connected with over 16,000 people on, online and many of those people, actually most of those people, were people who would never have come through the doors of our museum. That's an audience too good to turn down uh, or to turn our backs on as we go back to more, um, more on-site programming. Um, so we know that we need to move forward in a different kind of way, offering different forms of public engagement um, and, uh, and developing the skills that it takes to uh, be successful in those new ways. Um, that means learning new skills, uh, building new infrastructure, uh, 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 um, adding uh, different staff or, or changing the way we operate. Um, at that time when uh, we're faced with this call for extreme inventiveness and finding new ways and building new models. We're also faced with the reality that um, there is a gap in how we're funded with all of uh, our reliance on earned or raised funding. Um, we're in a period now where we aren't able to do that like we could in 2019. And we're facing a gap or some might call it a chasm uh, and we uh, are facing the challenge of how do we get through that until these new ways developed um, really start to pay off, um, or how do we at least hang on until the old ways start to revive themselves in 2023 or 2024. It's very hard for us to tell exactly when things will be back to normal. The one thing we do know is that it won't be the same normal that we had before. 
um, the uh, the uh, relief that is coming our way is very much stopgap relief. Uh, the the programs that were delivered, especially direct funding for arts and humanities. Uh, the programs that were offered last year, they worked for a year, uh, and then that funding is gone. Um, in the, uh, the, the new relief that's coming out in the uh, American Rescue Plan, um, the federal government uh, is repeating that same model. We're going to help you for a year if you're lucky enough to get our help. And uh, just one example of the extent of the relief that is provided by that funds uh, is an example of the approach that the uh, NEH is taking with the money that they've just received from Congress. Half is going to be distributed through state humanities organizations. I don't know how that'll happen in Kansas, but Kansas is really good at applying for those funds, so there may be a chance for us there. The rest they'll provide in direct aid to humanities organizations. Um, they uh, predict giving out about 150 grants. There are 16,000 history museums in the United States, all of which would be eligible to apply for that money. Um, and a third of which the American Alliance of Museums predicts will probably go out of business uh, for lack of operating support. And that doesn't include all of the other humanities organizations that can compete. So you can't really rely on those federal sources to help you bridge that long-term gap. Um, so that's one of our realities right now. Um, the other one is this part that is kind of inherent in the way we've built our businesses. Um, it's created organizations that approach our existence one year at a time. Um, how much money do we need to raise? How much money do we need to earn to meet our expenses this year? Um, we live kind of hand to mouth um, and certainly don't have the luxury of uh, looking to the future very far to, you know, short of maybe a special capital campaign, really be able, able to put a foundation for a new direction uh, to uh, lay some groundwork for introducing new forms of business. We just don't have that, uh, that kind of built into the way we work. Um, and more and more, that is a hamper to us being uh, effective at what we do. Um, add to that the great opportunity that has come up recently um, with the city of Lawrence. Uh, uh, Margaret, Mary, and I have been invited to participate in economic recovery uh, efforts. Uh, we're recognized as a, as a sector and we have a seat at the table and that is the best thing that's happened to us in the 50 years since uh, the, uh, uh, the cooperation that led to our, our, uh, our, burn, our beginnings. Um, and we've also been asked uh, to participate in the development of the city's strategic plan and asked to think about how we as organizations can help uh, advance the st strategic initiatives of the city. I think that's a role I can speak for Margaret and Mary uh, when I say that we're very eager to, to play. Um, we know that it's the support of the community that keeps us uh, operating and, and, and helps us to do what we love, connect with, our, with the people in our community. Um, and we're anxious for an opportunity to give back. Uh, but knowing what it takes to really think about um, if we want to achieve this particular kind of effect, what do we start to, to what do we start to work on now um, so that we can get there in 2023 or 2024? Um, we want to be able to um, 
to operate in that way. And in order to do that, um, we really believe now is the time to look for new funding models um, and new opportunities. Uh, the solutions that we came up with 50 years ago just don't seem to work the way we need things to work now. And that's our little trip down memory lane from the history guy. Um, we would be glad to uh, answer any questions that you have um, or provide any clarification about the, the materials we've gone over. Mary Pingle, I thank you so much, Margaret, Mary, and Steve. Um, not quite as optimistic as we always like to hear from our arts people, because that's where we go for our fun and entertainment, but uh, certainly the reality that we need to hear and listen. Um, questions from the commissioners? No questions at the moment. Um, I wanna go ahead and open up to public comment, then we can bring it back maybe for a little discussion see if any of the public have questions or comments. So if any member of the public would like to speak on this item, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature. If you're present, let Sherry know and she'll call upon you. Did you want to speak on this item? No. No. Okay, thank you. This is Sherry Riedemann, City Clerk. Uh, there's no public comment on this item. Mayor Pingle, I thank you. Bring it back to the commission. So question for you guys, as, as we look at some of these federal funds, all of us are waiting to hear how some of these projects are going to happen, both with our money, our big days, May 11th. Um, is there a timing situation on NEH and the others? When do you know what the, the process is going to be, what the chance, I mean, obviously the chances are slim from what, what we're hearing here, but what the process is or when the applications be open, that sort of thing? Uh, yes, the NEH has laid out their process and their grant, uh, uh, their grant uh, rescue plan grants are due uh, May 14th. Um, I'm working on that proposal right now. The size of my organization caps the amount of the grant at $50,000. However, uh, the relief circumstances um, mean that I don't have to come up with what is typical with the federal grant, a one-to-one -one match. Um, we will find out in September whether we get the grant, and the, the grant period will begin in October. So the 2021 relief funding through the NEH does not provide very much relief in 2021, but the grant period is a year, so it carries us into 2022. The NEA has not released its process yet, to my knowledge, and check every day. Um, but I'm assuming that it will um, be parallel to the NEH. They tend to uh, parallel each other. And the shuttered venue operators grant has been, uh, <laughs> let me say politely, a walking disaster. Uh, it has opened, it has closed, it has the site crashed. It has experienced 10 different versions of FAQs, uh, the latest being 41 pages long, 58 page user guides uh, that went through three revisions. Um, it has had three different 
application um, entry periods. Uh, finally, last week, it, it actually opened. Um, I think both Margaret and uh, the Arts Center and the theater are applying for those funds. However, we are uh, probably way down at the bottom because the Broadway theaters are the ones that are really up at the top and uh, likely to get the majority of the money there. And uh, that's an option that is the Watkins Museum is actually too small to even apply for. Although, given what the process has been like, I think I would prefer the twenty, the only twenty-six pages of instruction. <laughs> Lucky. <laughs> it kind of, yeah. <laughs> Mary, I know I've I've been to one of um, one um, play there with again a small small crowd. Um, you said you're talking about doing some different things this summer outside. Are you going to have any inside act activities this year or do them all out outside the summer? We're pretty much moving outside for the summer, and then we hope to uh, to get back into the theater in the fall. Uh, gets, a little, gets a little chilly in the parking lot. <laughs> but um, in this summer, I think the only activity that the the theater Lawrence is going to have indoors is our penguin project uh, because it would be too difficult for some of our special needs participants to get onto the stage outside. So we will be doing that inside, but everything else will be outside. And Mary, the, the one show I saw, I know Joe, Jeremy Wilmont was in, so I can call him a gig. <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely. Okay, good. I'm, he's I'm a gonna, good gig. <laughs> he's a good gig. I'm going to use that on him. Commissioner Larson, did you have some questions? I saw you telling my Yeah, uh, Commissioner Larson, yeah, I had a question about the funding that um, that was received by Kansas in 2020 under the CARES Act. You said it was like $200,000 for all of Kansas, which was kind of the bottom three. How much of that came into Douglas County? None. Zero. Actually, Steve, you got an NEH grant, right? We got okay. an NEH grant. And uh, the Spencer Museum of Art got an NEH grant. Uh, ours was for 70000 And I'm not sure what. Um, you know, that $200,000, if, if you're talking about the money distributed through the NEH, Margaret, mm -hmm. all of that came to Douglas County. Pretty much. No other places in Kansas got that. And no, there was no NEA money. No NEA money came to. Um, right. So the $200,000 that was awarded to Kansas pretty much came to Douglas County? Mm -hmm. To Lawrence, basically, yes. To Lawrence, yeah. And, and, and the Spencer. Good. Well, that's good. That's yes, good. it means that we can do it. It's just that, you know, the the uh, the competition is really, really high. Yeah. So, Commissioner, Commissioner Larson, so the um, did you receive any monies from Douglas County? Um, any, any of the arts cultures receive any money from Douglas County under the CARES? How much we, was that? We, um, so... Uh, we formed a coalition as a sector yes. um, and applied together. Uh, Mary, uh, it was Theater Lawrence, the Watkins Museum, Lawrence Arts Center, Americana Music Academy. Um, who am I leaving out, Steve? The Douglas County Heritage Agencies, uh, uh, the Eudora Community Museum, the Wakarusa River Valley Museum, right. and uh, the Territorial Capital Museum at Lecompton. Thank there you. were like seven of us all together, I think. And and so we uh, wrote uh, 
proposals for um, some of the major costs we were having to incur uh, public health mitigation. Um, so things like um, some of our buildings are fairly old, old HVAC, um, no touchless sinks, you know, things like that. We had to um, just to be open and with for our employees um, had we had to, uh, you know, in install and then also um, distance learning. So with the virtual um, having to take everything virtually, uh, there's a lot of um, equipment that we didn't have um, cameras, extended Wi-Fi, um, lots of different things. And so it was to cover all of those things. This this is Steve Novak. I know uh, I managed the public health mitigation, and that uh, funding was one hundred and twenty eight thousand uh, one hundred twenty eight thousand dollars spread across those seven organizations. And we, the art center, managed the distance learning, and that was a little over three hundred thousand spread across Commissioner Larson, again. So, you uh, on the grants that you applied together as a collaborative effort. Did you did you see any advantage to doing that in future on grants to doing it that way? Do you find a little bit more strength in your in your process that way? Mm -hmm. That's good. Yes, I think the other advantage. This is Mary Dovton. Uh, the other advantage has been that we've gotten to know each other and each other's organizations much mm -hmm. better, and plan to do more collaboration in the future. So that's been the silver lining in all this. And this is uh, Steve Novak again. Uh, I think the other thing that we have found is that uh, when we work together, we can uh, also help organizations smaller than ours that just would not be able to navigate the, the challenges of this on their own. In the case of the Douglas County Heritage Museum, some of them are volunteer run. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they just don't have the experience or probably even the time to do what it takes to gain access uh, to that kind of funding. Commissioner Larson, thanks so very much on that. And it's good to hear that out of this COVID that some innovative ways to raise money has been found and can continue to build on that. So thanks a lot. This is Commissioner Boley. Um, do the uh, Paycheck Protection Loans uh, grants, do they cover gig workers or is it just payroll on uh, employees? So that's tough, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they they didn't cover the uh, gig workers, and they we also have several contract employees, and it did not cover them either. So, Commissioner Larson, what's the difference between a gig worker and a ten ninety nine type person contractor? Anybody know? We call our gig workers contractors because we're con we cut we contract with them for the gig. Okay. But there are there are other kind of contracts too, like you know a contract with a company for us to provide security at at your concert or things like that. So that might be a little bit different. Okay. We also. This is Mary Dubton again. We also have a couple of folks that we uh, do kind of a long long-term yearly contract with we're not employees because they may, well anyway they don't fall under that classification but our gig workers tend to be shorter term folks thanks 
is Commissioner Ananda. I just wanted to acknowledge, you know, I, I work in a community where that is not Lawrence, where um, some of these compliance issues have been much larger issues, um, whether that's through their local government or through their organizations complying with those things and particularly acknowledging that that definitely is to the detriment of, you know, the funding that you all have um, through ticket sales or whatever. My incredible gratitude um, for the sacrifices that you have made for the safety of our community, acknowledging how incredibly difficult that is. And um, especially in a community that's so supportive of the arts and and our culture and um, I just, I really admire the ability to do that um, and the willingness to do that for that broader safety of our entire community um, that has now put us in a position to be able to move toward reopening and, you know, slowly rebuilding that. And um, if we want to silver line it, which I'm not generally a big fan of, um, it gives us an opportunity to rethink how we engage, you know, the applications together, um, being creative with the kind of productions that we do. Uh, we are far more ready for, for something like this in the future, which hopefully we never face, but we have more options to engage um, even if we don't face something like this. So I just, I want to acknowledge that and, and express my gratitude for everything that you all have, have sacrificed um, through this last year. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the support from the community has been tremendous. Um, you know, participating online when they couldn't come in person. And now that we see that there are opportunities, people are vaccinated, they feel like getting out. You know, we're at the Watkins Museum, at least are starting to see numbers that remind us of what things used to be like. Um, and we want to make sure that people have good experiences that they can feel safe about. And that um, the, the money that came through Douglas County really helped us to do that. I concur with that. Exactly. <laughs> Mayor Pinkley, any other comments? Um, uh, Mayor, um, yeah, I had, I had uh, several kind of ideas um, as I was listening to them speak. Um, in the not terribly recent past, um, even since I've um, been involved with um, watching city commission and, and being on boards, um, funding for um, the arts and culture have um, even locally been almost aggressively threatened um, and not just not supportive, but dismissed, certainly not acknowledged as an economic development tool. Um, so I'm very glad to hear that um, these organizations feel like they've been um, involved in the economic development space. Um, and I, I, you know, even when I think about, um, you know, kind of transient guest tax, the grant, the fund program that we have, that partly came out of um, an effort to diminish the amount of money um, or the uh, avenues that these organizations could ask the city for money. Um, and I, I think it's important to say that for a number of reasons. Uh, number one, it was economically short-sighted. And of course, as we see um, some of the weird impacts of COVID are that people are learning that you don't necessarily have to live where you work. And I think when people look at Lawrence, 
some of the things in the past, say, six or seven years that have been uh, aggressively targeted as things we should not invest in, Parks and Rec, for example, the arts, um, houselessness, um, are all things that our investment in will actually attract people to live here. They might work somewhere else and they're going to bring their dollars with them, but they want to work where they can go to four museums in a day and take their kids to 12 different parks and a loop that goes around the town. Those were investments. And um, what is most heartening to me when I think about that uh, and as context is how different our strategic plan is from that. Um, and I, uh, again, glad that, that these um, groups have been invited uh, to be in those conversations. But if I could just momentarily loop our city manager in here, if he's um, paying attention, I'm sure he is. Um, uh, I kind of think of him as, uh, in, in my mind, the, um, the champion of our strategic plan. He's the person to me that sounds like is every day reminding staff to think about our priorities in a completely different way. Literally the opposite of what we were doing um, seven years ago, say. Um, and I, I think it's really important when we have these groups here to um, assure them of how different our attitude is today and what we can expect or how we can expect them to be treated differently now with our new strategic plan and our new priorities than they were um, maybe even just four years ago. So uh, with that, Craig, I, I will see um, what you might have to say about that. Well, thanks. I, the city manager, Craig Owens, I, I, I have had a chance to meet actually with all three of these folks um, and it was, uh, it was very useful in their coaching and kind of translation to about not just the challenges which they've articulated, um, you know, so well here and in some other presentations in the community, but also how does this translate into the work they do and how can they be part of our strategic plan. So it was, it was hopefully mutually informative is definitely educational for me. And so we're trying to make sure that we're representing that as we're really prepare, preparing um, to take the strategic plan and build a plan that is funded, um, which is our budget. And so this is this is the heavy lift that we're trying to do behind the scenes so we can uh, put the resources in the in the planning into how do we actually make this a reality, a strategic plan a reality, which is, you know, three to five year process. So. Uh, but yes, I've been grateful for their commitments, and uh, of course, it you know, every time we hear these uh, stories, it tugs at the heartstrings and understands the fabric of our community, which is unique, uniquely Lawrence. And um, so we we appreciate understanding uh, who we're working for, really. So uh, thanks for the cue. Yes, I love the strategic plan. Uh, Mayor, if I could just say another couple little things that I thought of while um, our our guests were speaking. Um, 
I, I love that um, Margaret Morris was able to uh, remind us of the role that we've learned that arts and culture play in democracy. Um, that's certainly something I've, I've seen written about and reported a little bit. Um, uh, if, if nothing else, sometimes just creating engaging space, again, engagement, one of our priorities. Um, uh, another thing I kind of want to tell a little story about, um, and because I'm pretty sure it was Mary, um, also hearkening back to Margaret and what you learned from the arts. I'm actually not an artistic person. I can't draw a smiley face. Um, but uh, when I was on Transient Guest Talks, um, there was a situation where a nonprofit or a profit, a for-profit organization came in and asked for a grant. And whatever it was, I don't remember, they asked for the moon, whatever it was, a just terrific amount of money. And um, Mary and someone else sort of stopped me um, on my way out and said, you know, we've worked in the nonprofit world all this time. It has just never occurred to us to shoot for the moon. We always ask for the very least amount of money. Um, we never do the big dream. Um, and I have never forgotten that. Again, something you learn from the arts. Uh, someone who was, was working in that space and um, taught me a valuable lesson about not a, a psychological uh, situation that um, nonprofits and creative people are put in um, when they're begging for money. Um, so, Mary, I, I hope it was you, but I'm giving you 100% <laughs> credit for it. Um, that also leads me again to uh, reminding people, and I always will, that arts are an economic driver and should always have been considered that way. Um, I think Margaret said uh, the Arts Center employs, what, 1,061 people, something like that, I think she said. Um, it was a little less than that. We had 225 contractors and um, 52, 51, 52 employees. Oh, it was jobs related. Yeah. Was, okay, so jobs related to the arts guy. Well, even so, 200 people. The last incentive that we gave out to a company that wasn't even building a new building, was just expanding, was 13 people. So we have not been investing in this commensurate to what it gives us. And that's been going on for years. So um, those, those, those are kind of thoughts I had, Mayor, about this. And I, I'm, I'm glad our strategic plan says, I believe the absolute opposite of what our investment patterns have been in this space. Mayor Pinkley, any other comments? Well, I just conclude. I mean, I would say, you know, I um, when Amy and I went to the Spencer this this weekend to see their their show on the healing, healing of the body and soul, and it was a great reminder of, of how much we have um, to go to heal from this last year, but how art can can help us and move us in those directions. And and certainly, I concur that you know as we continue to implement our not only our strategic plan, but our economic strategic plan that has a lot of focus on the arts, that we need to continue to look at ways to invest in in not only um, our community for the healing and the, and, and the purposes that the arts can serve, but also the economic side of that. So I look forward to those discussions and this is a great 
um, presentation, a great framework that will lead us as we get into those discussions in the coming months. So thank you all for being here and thank you um, for all the great information. And we look forward to working with you um, in the coming weeks, months, and years. Thank you for giving us your time. We appreciate it. Mayor Figueroa, thank you all. Um, okay, that was our last regular agenda item. So we'll go to commission items. I, I noticed we uh, switched back to having agenda, work session, and other items instead of just, just items, but that's okay. Um, anyone have any of those items? Uh, Mayor, Commissioner Shipley, just to follow up on um, a, a little back and forth, uh, something that um, Commissioner Larson brought up. We didn't put it on an item particularly, but but an issue that I, I feel like she saw um, some weakness in. And, and then she said, of course, not like a top priority, but just, you know, it might be nice to, to put on a list and make sure it gets followed up on because um, I, I, I think she brought up great points. Um, the other thing is, and I hate to even bring it up because now I've gotten used to it, but are we ever going to see each other again as a group of people? Are we going to come in? <laughs> Do we have a plan, Mayor? Mayor um, Finkel, like Craig and I have talked a little bit about that, and Craig's working on a on a plan overall, but he can jump in here. Yes, City Manager Craig Owens, I um, we are looking at it. Um, th this, of course, is going to be some uh, triggers that we're looking for from our public health department, and um, you know, kind of gateway um, entry measures into um, you know each of the stages of kind of reentry. Uh, as you're saying, uh, we're looking at it for our own internal operations um, that haven't already uh, been there. Um, and again, these will be kind of driven by community health standards or vaccination rates or case rates, some of the things that um, uh, the public health department is is guiding us on. So um, I would I would imagine, you know, I've been kind of looking at, uh, you know, summertime uh, might be a threshold for some of that, but um, we still are kind of putting some plans together. Have you considered meeting in the theater of Lawrence parking lot? This is Commissioner Bolton. <laughs> <laughs> Mayor Finkel, good good thought there, Stuart. We'll have to um, look at that. But you know, we, we we again we've talked a little bit about it. You know, at, at the current moment, the May twenty sixth. You know, the current health order goes through at least then, and with the social distancing required in that order, our room is just not big enough to to consider that. But as we continue to watch that, I think we will continue to monitor that and, and hope to, to get back together um, soon. Um, and again, more events going on. Again, with the technology, we're limited in where we can do it. And, and so, um, but yeah, that's an ongoing conversation. And any input you guys have, I'd appreciate it. Other items? Ms. Commissioner, right. Nona, I just wanted to bring a little levity to the table and wish everyone happy May the 4th and May the 4th be with you. I hope I had some Jedis downstairs watching some Star Wars this evening, eating um, the dark side ice cream. So I hope everyone was able to celebrate in the way that they found most appropriate for them. <laughs> Mayor Finkel, I thank you for that. Well, that leads us to the sea managers report. I'm sure he has Star Wars included in the report. 
uh, city manager Craig Owens. I, I that is, I didn't want to follow that. Uh, <laughs> um, Thank you. So uh, there's a couple of items on here that are just updates, and I won't go deeply into them. I'm happy to answer any questions. Um, the first one is the Njuje Wahobe um, uh, update, and there has been quite a bit of activity that has been going on related to that, which is pretty exciting. Um, and just uh, if you read through that update, you'll see there's so many, um, so many different parts of our community uh, coming together on this. So if nothing else, that's a wonderful. Um, thing that we can report, uh, but there is some uh, really good progress being made. Happy to answer any questions, and I know Tony Wheeler, who's been so instrumental in that, is uh, available to, to update anybody who may want to uh, talk about that. Vice Mayor Shipley, yeah, so I think the last thing in the memo, um, the results from the underground um, uh, whatever Trade it was. Open and trading. Yeah, thank you, was going to be the 29th. So it's been a few days. I just am so I, I, I'm the suspense is killing me. So I just I didn't know if you'd heard anything, Tony. Tony Wheeler, city attorney. Well, that's a great segue to Commissioner Larson. Um, she has some photographs to share and some information um, that is on that uh, related to that. The uh, t the testing or the assessment was occurred last Thursday. We don't have the official results yet, but I believe Commissioner Larson has some information to share. Um, Commissioner Larson here. Thanks, Tony. I appreciate that very much. Um, yeah, it was a pretty exciting day last Thursday, I believe it was, that we were out there doing that. And I want to give some thanks to Parks and Recs because they provided the boom truck and the guys operated that to make sure that Dr. Um, Soflias could um, access the rock in the areas that he needed to. Um, so what they use is what they, they use ground penetrating radar, which sends out signals and those signals will bounce back to the um, to the device and it'll give you an idea of what kind of surface is there, whether there's a hard surface or a softer surface or no surface, if it's a void. So it tells that. So the key on this was that we wanted to make sure that we understood where the cracks are in the rock to ensure that the integrity of it would, would allow us to um, potentially remove that at some point. So um, Dr. Sophilis um, went through with his, um, system there and you can see in the one picture he's holding it right there and he's had two two pieces of equipment that he used one was a, a thousand megahertz and one was 500 megahertz and they each send different types of waves through and he, he measured three sides of the rock so he could get a 3d type view of what was um, running through the rock he didn't do the side where the metal plate was because um they can't it won't penetrate through metal like that so he was able to get that done and I spoke with him or I we were been emailing back and forth a little bit and, and the data is still very preliminary, but he's saying that uh, what it's showing right now is that we're not seeing any large cracks that go all the way through the rock. So that's going to be real key in determining whether or not we can safely move it. Um, the other thing he um, that they were concerned about is how deep the rock went in the ground. Um, is it on the surface? Is it just below those boulders? Um, um, what it is, and he thinks, um, again, this is preliminary data, he thinks that it goes just to the surface and is within that, um, the boulders that you see concreted um, to the to the ground. So um, he's um, very positive about the data that they were able to get some data that will hopefully provide some good information. And we, um, you know, it, we'll use that data to determine if it's safely to, to move it. Um, Call Nation 
And Tony, as well as Jay Joshik from KU, will be talking with Dr. Sopolis um, later this week to um, get a, a better picture of what they saw with the radar. And the decision will be made at some point as to whether or not it's safely to move. Excellent. Mayor Finkel, other questions on that? That's exciting. I'm glad to get can look forward to those reports and how we can move forward. Craig, other reports there? Yes, Mayor. Um, we also uh, wanted to update that uh, the final stages of the long-awaited downtown master plan uh, are coming uh, towards uh, us this this month in May. Uh, so there's an update on that, and so we should be concluding that that process. Uh, uh, the draft plan has been uh, posted, and we're receiving comments. So exciting! Excited after that long pause that we're going to get that plan um, for our our future and continued growth in uh, downtown. Um, also, um, on your future meetings, I believe we've updated that um, to reflect um, a city gate, our consultant that's studying the police department. So we expect also within at the end of the month uh, to be scheduling a meeting of big presentations, probably a special meeting just of the commission on that subject to receive their um, their initial findings and to have some discussions about that. So. Uh, looking forward to those those two big uh, long-awaited pieces um, of business. Other than that, I'm happy to answer any other questions. Mayor Finkel, I just I wanted to be clear to the commissioners if if you saw that we're looking at probably doing the last Tuesday of the month, the May 25th, for the for the city gate. Um, so that would be adding a meeting to a week we usually have off. Um, the May 18th was pretty busy with the with the housing work session, and then we have the downtown master plan. And so I just want to make sure that's okay with the commissioners to have that May 25th meeting. Mr. Ananda, what time would that start? Oh, City Manager Craig Owens, I don't think we've uh, set a date yet, but we probably would be around the same time as our normal start date. So our times maybe five five thirty. This is, this is Commissioner Ananda. Um, I will be in Emporia until four that day. Um, so that's an hour and a half commute. Okay. Dinner would be cool. <laughs> um, just putting that out there for that day. Okay. I think, I think we can definitely work to move it to the later time frame. So we'll work on that. Even six would be awesome. This is Commissioner Bowley. Um, I'd just like to confirm this is a single issue special meeting. Okay, thanks. I think, like, yes, it, it would be that. And certainly we're willing, I mean, again, we wanted to make sure we could talk about that. We could put it on the 18th, but that make a very, very long meeting. Um, or wow. even on the first, we make it a very long meeting. This is Commissioner Bowley. I think this topic merits a special meeting. City Manager Craig Owens, um, and I think we also uh, would would need a action to call that meeting, so which um, we can rely on our um, city clerk to help us. <laughs> that 
Mayor Finkel, our city clerk, is always important to this process. Okay, any other questions on the city manager's report? It is a public hearing item, so if any member of the public would like to speak on one of those three items, um, please raise your hand. Um, using the raise your hand feature, let Sherry know. Sherry Reedeman, City Clerk, there's no public comment on this item. Mayor Finkel, I thank you, Sherry. Takes us to the calendar. Any comments on the calendar? Seeing none, that would take us to adjournment. Commissioner Larson moved to adjourn. Commissioner Ananda, second. Mayor Finkel, I a motion by Commissioner Lawson, a second by Commissioner Ananda. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Um, Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Bowley? Aye. Mayor Finkel, I, aye. Passes five to zero. We will see you all next week. Thank you very much. May the fourth be with you. Thank <laughs> you.